Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sixty-five Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. Ewers to throw over the top, right there, Whittington touchdown. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Quick to McMillan. Sixty-five Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Delayed handoff to Shipley. Breaks a tackle. Shipley to the turn. Hunting the pylon. Touchdown. Now here's David Smoke and Craig Smoke. All right, here we go as, lead, uh, as we lead you into the Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Some great football coming up this weekend, both, of course, in college, NFL, and in Texas. The high school football playoffs, the regional semifinals. Craig Smoke, I'm David Smoke. We bring you today's show on this Wednesday. Garrett Ross running the mothership. Emery Levi Jack, of course, always doing something for this show and also 365 Sports. We will hear from two sideline analysts for the game Saturday night at McLean Stadium, Baylor's last game. West Virginia's going bowling. Jed Drenning will join us. Ricky Thompson. Also, Dan Hope, who covers Ohio State on that huge game Saturday morning. Ohio State, Michigan, and Ann Arbor. He's from 11 Warriors. And also, my conversation with Baylor women's basketball coach Nikki Collin and Oklahoma State analyst, former Oklahoma State player Sam Mays, will join us here in about 30 minutes. Craig Smoke, David Smoke, and here we go. Craig, the college football playoff rankings released last night. There is one change. Florida State drops to five. Washington is at number four. They had yet another nice win. Michael Penix and the Huskies are unbeaten. And you wonder, is that Washington's resume, which is really good and better than maybe anybody on that list, or is that the possibility Jordan Travis is injured? I think it's very clearly it's Washington's strength of schedule. Uh, I think that's pretty clear what the reasoning was uh you can't really penalize florida state just yet based on just the jordan travis injury i think to do that would be uh, a real sham of the whole process uh granted if you know they uh get into a situation where there's a gridlock and you're trying to whittle it down to you know who is the best team then sure it would ultimately come down to that but there's still a couple of games to play so i don't think you start to ping Florida State for that just yet. I'm sure for some voters there may have been that element, but I think uh, really what you're looking at is the fact that Washington just went and beat Oregon State. I mean, that's a win on the road. You're unbeaten. You're healthy. Uh, So, yeah, I think that that's just very clearly the fact that Washington has the better resume. Now, you may wonder, if we're talking resumes, then why are they just at four? Why aren't they even higher? 
Um, but, you know, there is the other part of the eye test and whatever else people want to throw into the mix of, of why they vote for things. But, yeah, I mean, pretty much as is uh, the top four except for that major change. And I think that that's directly a result of what you've actually gone out in the field and proven when it comes to the Huskies. Washington, Washington State this weekend, the Apple Cup, of course, earlier this week, they announced they would resume or they would extend the series, the rivalry, despite the Pac-12 being blown up and Washington State being left along Oregon State on an island at this particular time. Uh, Georgia won, Ohio State two, Michigan number three. Those two and three will play Saturday morning, 11 o'clock. And again, Dan Hope will join us a little bit later on in this show to discuss the Buckeyes. Washington at four. Now, let's look at the, the Alphas. Florida State five, unbeaten. Oregon at number six, the only losses against Washington, and a chance if they can beat Oregon State that they'll play Washington again for the Pac-12 championship. Texas remains seven. They've been kind of kind of like just simmering right there. Ha- haven't been able to move up. They have Texas Tech Friday. Most likely they're going to play in the Big 12 championship game. Craig, among those in front of them, if everything was to at least remain status quo, which I know teams are going to play each other, who does Texas need to lose, need to see to lose for sure that's reasonable for them to get into the college football playoff? Well, I think uh, Oregon uh, right there in front of you, Florida State right there in front of you, and then Ohio State, Michigan should take care of itself now with the winner uh, or the loser of that game. Would it be a close enough game where if it's Michigan, let's say, uh, well, I guess it doesn't really matter. If Michigan or Ohio State, do they fall all the way, you know, three or four spots down, or do they only drop to – Let's say if it was Ohio State four or five or Michigan to, you know, four or five or six, uh, you know, I don't know. I, a lot of it depends on the things that we don't know, which is how do you lose the game? I mean, you know, it's it's one thing to lose, but if you're Michigan, Ohio State, and it's triple overtime and you lose by one and you're Ohio State and you're on the road, like, I mean, how much are you going to get pinged for that versus you get blown out by 25? So um, it's hard to say exactly, uh, but I think Texas is sitting in a really good spot. Obviously, four of the teams in front of them have to play each other. So uh, they have a great opportunity, especially, you know, with Oregon right there in front of them to leap on over with a win. Um, And, you know, same would go. I think they'd leap over Washington uh, as well. But, um, yeah, I think Ohio State-Michigan, that'll boil down to the stylistically how that happens. But uh, if you're Texas, I think outside of, you know, being five or six, I mean, you're in a really good spot. And even not being five or six, I don't think really matters right this very moment with still, again, two weeks to play. Um, you know, running out of time to make too many moves, but knowing that there's going to be at least two teams in front of you losing and one of them or another one also has a quarterback injury at this point, uh, I think you feel great. The only one that, you know, maybe you, you feel is not going to be shaking too much is, is Georgia probably, but they still got to play Alabama. So, I mean, there's a lot of chaos that can still happen. Shoot, Texas could still lose. Um, but, yeah, I think they feel great about where they are right now for sure. Gary, let me ask you this. Uh, when you look at names, mm. and let's not be, I mean, let's not be naive here. Texas has the logo. Obviously, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama. If Alabama was to run the table, which means they beat Auburn and then, of course, would upset Georgia, do you think that Alabama, despite the loss to Texas, if they finish that way in the game with Georgia's 23-20, do you think that that could block Texas out and Alabama in that scenario ends up, even despite the head-to-head loss in September, jumping UT? I think there's going to be a lot of people, especially in SEC homer-type 
per se that would be rooting for that, but I still think I'm I'm of the camp where head to head matters. If Texas went on the road into Bryant Denny and took care of Alabama, um, I I don't see a situation where they could jump them like that. My more so concern is how how does it play out to where conference champions get left out? Like if Michigan Ohio State play, that's going to eliminate one of them. Um, so then you have Florida State right there who's undefeated, and they would be the ACC champion if everything plays out. Like, you're going to have a log jam of a situation where you have like three or four conference champions in a situation where Texas is going to have to jump onto them to get in. I don't know how that's going to shake out. But they out. would be a conference champion too. Oh, you're talking about if Georgia runs the table. Yeah, if Georgia runs the table, then you have Michigan. Ohio that, State, They no matter what, whoever right. wins run, wins the Big 12, a Big 10 title. And then you have an opportunity where you have the winner of the Pac-12, the way it sits right now, regardless, is ahead of Texas, right? Like say, if it's right. Washington or Oregon, whoever wins that, they're still ahead. And then Florida State's ahead, uh, whereas they would win the ACC. Like, how does that shake out? That could happen. I just, I, I think, but as far as like the Bama scenario, there's no way, in my opinion, Bama should jump Texas due to the head-to-head in Bryant Denny. But the first year that they Correct. ever did this, Craig, was a head-to-head that did not come into play between TCU Baylor in 2014 but that again was nine years ago and a lot has changed plus you have the UT involved in that they've got to take care of their business tech Friday night in Austin and then of course whoever they play most likely at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington yeah and I don't think the head-to-head really played in with TCU and Baylor as far as like them getting jumped by Ohio State you know what I mean like this isn't you're saying could Texas pass or could Alabama pass Texas? But the thing with TCU and Baylor wasn't them hopping each other. It was them getting hopped by Ohio State or be not being able to jump over Ohio State. Because so, they did not have a championship game data point. Right. That's so, the bottom line. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there wasn't a, well, I can't believe TCU finished. Well, TCU didn't finish in front of Baylor. TCU finished behind Baylor. Baylor won the head-to-head. So, I think that it's, um, you know, kind of similar, but not really the same thing because of uh, the fact that um, – you know that they were more more worried about others as opposed to this scenario where Bama's just jumping Texas just because they look better. Um, you know that that really wasn't the deal then, um, but I think the conversation of that even happening is ridiculous. I, I think that that's just a silly conversation that you know Feinbaum must be having on his show or something because I can only see Alabama fans. Uh, you know, really making a strong case for why that would make any sense whatsoever. Because other than that, other than just roll tide, um, it would make no sense uh, with Texas having the only loss to Oklahoma in a close game at that where they lost the lead late with time running out. And they very clearly beat Bama. I mean, very clearly went into their place and beat them, and beat Jalen Milrow, and what are we going to start? You know, oh, well, he was only in uh, week two form. He's, now he's in week 12 form. I mean, I mean, how how much do we want to tweak things? So, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to, um, you know, sit there and view, I guess, Washington, or excuse me, um, uh, uh, Florida State in a little bit of a different way. I guess I don't even agree with that, but I can see where at least you're looking at that way, but I don't see how you're looking at this and going, well, Bama, with the the eye test, I mean, I, I don't know what you're going for because Texas has had a pretty good eye test along the way as well. So, yeah, that I, I don't think that, that should happen at all. I bet that's closer than we think, but it shouldn't happen if, in fact, even – now, if Alabama beats Auburn and then beats Georgia, they absolutely will make that a difficult decision, whether it's not Texas that they jump or somebody in front of them, depending on if Oregon-Washington end up flipping wins, if Oregon wins the Pac-12 title – uh, with a win against Washington, that will be interesting to see what happens with that. I mean, it feels like we're at the end of the road, but I mean, there's also 
as you mentioned, a lot of really big games left. So big games. We don't Bigger. have to figure yep. it out right now. They're setting the chessboard to make whatever maneuvers need to be made the next couple of weeks. But, you know, obviously this weekend will be very telling, and then championship weekend will be absolutely massive. So this whole, like, can Alabama do that? Well, shoot, okay, let's go see them beat Auburn, which is probably going to happen. But then let's go see them beat Georgia, and then let's have that conversation because otherwise it's still pretty unrealistic. Um, and I think, again, if you're Texas and you've got – uh, Texas Tech, who, you know, is playing really hard and tough, but Texas stops the run well. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting with them at home to see what Tech can do to make that competitive. And then the following week, probably against Oklahoma State, I think you definitely take their path versus take the path of, of you know, an Alabama having to play a Georgia, probably even a Florida State um, having to play. You know, it's a middling Florida team, but then a really pretty good Louisville team. Yep. Um, and Top then, 10. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously the Pac-12 is what that is. So, uh, again, I'll go back to I think Texas is sitting pretty. I don't think they get jumped by Alabama, but, you know, if Bama goes and wins these next two, then that'll be a, a more realistic conversation to have. But right now I think that's some of the – I think that what we have happen is like the fear-mongering of like, well, what if and, you know – if well, we're that's talking, what we do, though. Uh, no, no, I, no I, let me finish my thought. Okay, like, it's one thing ahead. if it's a two. It's one thing if it's like a two lane or something like that. I think it's, it's, we're talking about Texas, though. We're talking about the brand that is Texas. I don't think there's too many teams that are going to be hopping over you. That's how I started out, yeah. though. Is that that you know, if it was somebody that wasn't a brand name, then you would probably look at scenarios and and I bet that would be really difficult for the committee to uh, not if if it's a non brand name to, to give them the opportunity to play in the champ or semifinals. That's what's interesting about it. That's why I brought up 14 because TCU and Baylor had that game, but neither one of them, no matter how good they were, and they were both very good, they're the logos. And, uh, and no matter what, and, and we'll see what happens. This, this year, in the, among the top five, six, or seven, eight teams, wouldn't you say, Garrett and Craig, that all of them are logos? If you look at them, every one of them, maybe not some as high as others, but all of them are brand names. No, I think you could definitely make a case for that. I mean, Washington, to me, like from my perspective, because I, I don't remember their heyday when they were winning championships, I would say that could be more of an argument from a modern standpoint, but it, they're definitely still a brand. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's all brands. I think that's, um, you know, something that the committee's got to be very excited about. It's a lot of SEC, a lot of Big Ten, but then the biggest brands out in the other leagues as well. And I know what point you're getting at, but that's the thing. That's like the double whammy of like, is this like Baylor TC? No, because for one, it's a Texas it's Texas for two. They had the head to head. And, um, you know, I think the scenario is different. So yeah, that's, that's what we do. We speculate on this, but again, it's, it's one thing to get too far down the line, knowing that there's these, like, let's see Ohio state, Michigan and what that could look like. So I think to, to, uh, to see some more evidence is what's going to be needed obviously here. And, um, if we get into that scenario, that'll be a very interesting conversation to have. Um, if, uh, if Alabama is able to pull off the, the sweep the rest of the way, um, but, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting final two weeks to see, you know, who may stumble and uh, who may not. But if you're Texas, I mean, you're as big of a brand as it gets. So just win your games and see what happens around you. But I wouldn't be worried too much about getting hopped. If I was TC or Baylor, I would. If I had a commissioner who wasn't willing to stick his neck out on the line and declare head-to-head something, I would. But that's not really what they're they're uh, they're facing right now. Although the threat of, of Bama having beat Georgia is obviously something that uh, you know anybody I guess in front of them, whether it's Texas or whether it's you know Oregon or whatever, I think probably have to be mindful of because obviously a lot of people are talking about the uh, tides resurgence here over the last few weeks. One note last night: the number one ranked team in men's basketball beaten 
Kansas beaten by Marquette. Shaka Smart, very intense game. Great game early in the year. Kansas losing to Marquette by 1473-59. We invited Paul to come on and discuss that game, but I think he might uh, have not had the guts to want to discuss an X's and O's of that. If he was on the set with us today, he's off today. Uh, in fact, I sent a note to Amanda and Paul. I said, hey, we have a segment open to discuss KU and Marquette. And Amanda's response to me was, the season is over. <laughs> of course it is. It's a little dramatic. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the season is over. And uh, Paul never responded, Garrett. Greg never said a word. Oh, that's safe. Smart. Playing the safe Very, route. very, very smart. Now, I don't know how I can, if I'll be able to read this as well as I want, but here is just something to have fun with here in this opening segment today. This is a young man that has decided to turn or, or enter the NFL draft. All right? Uh, there's a lot of script right there. The bottom line is if you read the script, he didn't play very much. He played during mainly blowouts, etc. He's entering the NFL draft saying that he's not going to get drafted, but having fun with that in this day and age of social media, of the offers people get, their finals eight or ten or four or whatever, entering the transfer portal. But how about this one? I love this from Barkley Briggs. He is entering and has now entered as eligible for the NFL draft. Love his sense of humor. Absolutely love his sense of humor. Why not have some fun with it? The best line was this. There are countless people who I have to thank for making my dream of playing Division I football a reality, but I especially want to express my gratitude to my family, my coaches, Oprah Winfrey, my teammates, Winston Churchill, my friends, all of those who have supported me throughout this journey. So uh, if he ever, uh, many of you may ask, if he barely saw playing time at a non-scholarship FCS program, why does this guy think he has any chance in the NFL? This is an entirely reasonable reaction, and I don't blame any of you for thinking this. I will provide roughly zero on-field value for an NFL franchise, but I'd probably be fun to be around. He, of course, is a player from Davidson, which is known as a basketball school. Yeah, it seems he's got a great sense of humor. Uh, you know, not uh, not a, a fan of all of the statement uh, tweets that we get like all the announcements that we get in recruiting a lot of times but here's a guy who's at the end of his college career and just having a little bit of fun with it and you could tell that he's he probably is a pretty fun guy to be around so uh yeah um hadn't seen that uh but uh you know cool uh cool I guess little post to make and um you know nice sense of humor like you said uh that seems to be getting a lot of play so yeah good to have fun with things and uh, maybe he gets a comedy offer of some sort uh, for SEC shorts or something like that, some some college football-related comedy uh, as a result of that. But, uh, yeah, uh, I can't – what's his name? Barclay uh, Briggs. Barclay Briggs. Uh, well, shout-out to Barclay Briggs, and uh, good luck with whatever the next step holds, even if it's uh, your dream uh, being lived there on an NFL sideline, not contributing much. All right, go back to the, top, the, the standings, if you don't mind, Garrett. I have a point to make here, and, and you guys can agree with me or not. I, that's fine. Look who they always stick at the bottom. And, again, these are non-Power 5 programs. Liberty, you have Tulane in that mix. And also, um, God, I just went blank. North Carolina State? N- uh, yes. But let's go to the 23 and 25. Almost every week when you have these standings come out, they'll slip in James Madison, who lost, or they'll slip in Tulane, or they'll slip in Liberty. It's almost like, hey, we got to include a couple of these non-Power 5 schools 
Uh, and good for them to be involved, though. It's great for them. It's good for recruiting. But it's nice to see those two included uh, with Liberty and also Tulane. They have that game on Friday against Jeff Trailer and UT San Antonio, UTSA. I mean, I agree. It's kind of lazy to just sit there and stick um, kind of the same schools there at the end. But, I mean, there's Clemson at 24. There's, uh, you know, Tennessee at 21. So they're not, you know, in a bad neighborhood altogether. But, um, I mean, honestly, though, like how much higher are you sticking Liberty based on their schedule? Um, you know, with Tulane, I think they've been at it for quite a while now. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of what happens. But it's not surprising when I don't think too many of the people that are mostly spending most of their Saturdays watching those teams at the top are, you know, not many of them, in my opinion at least, are, are spending as much time on the Tulane's or the Liberties or what have you. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's you don't want to do the whole participation ribbon thing. You don't want to, like, uh, you get your spot and you're happy with it. Um, because it does seem like teams like that do just hang around in the same bottom five or so spots, and it takes a miracle to get any higher. But, I mean, in the case of Liberty, um, you know, they're in there now, um, and I don't think that, uh, you know, unbeaten or not, that they've played the type of schedule that would warrant them jumping up too much higher than they are. You know, maybe here at the end of the road after being completely unbeaten, but, um, but yeah. Uh, well, here's my point, though. Tennessee and Clemson, yes, they're in a, a power five. They've lost four times. They've lost four games. And if you're one of those power, non-Power Fives or Power Five schools that aren't supposed to be a part of the country club, you can force your way in it. We've seen them do that before. TCU did last year. But they're 7-4. and four. It's like, hey, we got to keep them in here. And I, I know that probably straight up they'd win those games, but do we know that for sure? And that's, what the, that's always kind of like, well, let's make sure we put Air Force in here. They get knocked. As soon as they lose, they're gone. And they know that. And I don't know what would happen if they ended up playing, but I bet a bunch of those teams in front of them would not want to play any of those teams in just a regular like non-conference game, a neutral site, or even on the road at one of those schools, but their stadiums aren't nearly as big. Well, I mean, this is uh, kind of the SEC padding that we've always seen, is that you can lose four games, but then the excuse is, oh, well, you lost to ranked teams. And so, oh, you lost by three touchdowns. Yeah, but it was Georgia. I mean, so, yeah, Tennessee got blown out by Missouri, got blown out by Georgia, and uh, now they're going to play Vanderbilt. So, I don't know. Um, I, I think in the case of Liberty, though, having followed the Caden Salter story uh, of what he's done all year, like there's every week I'm like, okay, man, would love to see him play somebody that yep. you know has a pulse. Um, no disrespect to him. He's doing what he's doing against great competition. I can't speak so much as to Tulane. I think at this point they'd be beyond not getting the respect card. Uh, but, you know, as far as, as Liberty goes, um, yeah, I think you would take Tennessee four loss over them uh, nine, ten times out of ten. So I'm sure that comes into play, but – I don't know. I just I, – I, like, the thing with the, like, your, the playoff conversation, it's like I just don't get worked up because I know this is a sport that we cover, but, like, I just feel like these are the – you know, like, the, that's something that's just – I'm, I'm kind of numb to that. It doesn't make it right, but I'm just not surprised or getting, um, you know, too out of – not that you I'm are not either. But, up of it. I'm uh, just saying it's just it's No, I know. Just I'm so not speaking obvious. to you. I'm saying that yeah. I, I just – I'm not surprised by it. I right. mean, it's what it's always been. It's always been disrespectful towards teams like that. It's always been that way where the SEC team gets to have an extra loss, and it can be a blowout loss. And in the case of Tennessee, it can be back-to-back blowout losses. But, hey, the teams they lost to are ranked. And so it, you know, takes away as opposed to basically other, every other team in the country and other conferences who if they got beat uh, by, uh, let's see here, uh, a score of 36 to 7. Oh, well, that was in Columbia and they were top 15. Oh, okay. I'll get beat by 28 points. Oh, well, that was uh 
at home. Oh, shoot. Uh, that was against the number one team, though. Oh, okay. Well, then that explains it away. So, yeah, it's definitely some SEC bias coming into play when you have the the uh, just a constant cycle of the same voices saying the same things and backing each other up, an echo chamber, you know, then it just drowns out what is pretty obvious is like, yeah, those things are kind of rigged in some ways of no wonder there's always, there's eight teams for the umpteenth week in a row from the SEC. Yeah, because they one falls out, you throw another one in there. Yeah, there's a bubble. Yeah, yeah and so it's, just, that. It's, so it's just, it's been that way for years. It's not going to change given the way that the current setup is. Um, it's probably worse now than ever, as, as a matter of fact. But, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I'm just not surprised to see that. I, not that I agree with it. When we come back, Sam Mays played at Oklahoma State, covers Oklahoma State, does his own uh, talk show. He'll join us on Oklahoma State. They need to win. No matter what UT does, uh, no matter what anyone else does, Oklahoma State can take care of their own business. Yes, there are some scenarios that could get crazy, as we've discussed, 120-plus of them as we enter the weekend of college football. Craig Smoke, uh, I'm David Smoke. Garrett Ross here in the studio today, and this is 365 Sports. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness on Lakeshore Drive is a premier elite life-changing experience where you can change your mind, body, and soul. Waco Regional Tennis and Fitness offers over 40 group exercise classes each week, including boot camp, bar, silver sneakers, and more. New bikes arrive and are waiting for you to test yourself, compete against yourself with a screen monitoring your speed, miles, resistance, and power, and with indoor cycling classes every day. New free weights, weight machines, TRX, rowing machines, stationary bikes, new Treadmills, new elliptical machines on the spacious weight room floor. Personal training with Christy London, Randall Corley, Alex Botch, and Nathan Roach, where you will be encouraged and motivated to grow. A kids club included with your membership, plus sauna, whirlpool, and a tanning bib. 16 tennis courts, beautiful stadium court, and longtime youth tennis pro Britt Coleman, assistant junior pro Kenneth, adult tennis lessons and clinics with Blake, and commitment to pickleball with eight courts and instructor Jody Thurman. Visit the website, WacoTennis.com, or visit us next to Hawaiian falls on lakeshore drive in waco some say a dog is a man's best friend but i tell you what boys you better think again cause there ain't nothing better than cows pigs and turkeys too to Rudy's for some tasty oak smoke barbecue. Next in line. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas, they have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco.
Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now downtown on Franklin Avenue. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Let Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch, or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction. With a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you, Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. Market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, warm. Welcome home. Don't miss out on the biggest deals of the year during the Black Friday sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. Experience the adventure, style, and comfort of the new 2023 Jeep lineup. Shop our great selections in store or online today and start your Jeep adventure. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. Sam Mays, selloutcrowd.com, former All-American at Oklahoma State. Cowboys, of course, with a chance to play in the Big 12 championship game despite some bumps in the road early and then, of course, even a couple of weeks ago to UCF. Sam on the show, 365 Sports, David Smoke and Craig Smoke. Sam, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you guys. Thank you so much for having me today. How are you doing? Because I know that we were going to have you on a couple of weeks ago. Hope you don't mind. Everything okay with you? Yeah, yeah. You know, the thought of Bedlam almost killed me uh, a few <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> no, I had a I had a hypertension crisis. My blood pressure skyrocketed to like 210 over 110 and basically stayed wow. around that area for like three days. Wow. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy and, you know, I, I lift a bunch of weights and I put a lot of pressure on my heart and it looks like I'm going to make some life changes. And, and uh, you know, outside of that, I'm, I'm home and feel good and I'm back to work in both my jobs. And so, yeah, it was just one of those like, you know, grab your shoulders and shake you and, and realize that I'm no longer that 22 year old invincible All-American offensive lineman. You know, like it just uh It's just a reality check, I guess. Well, I'm glad you're okay and moving forward. All right, Oklahoma State has had an up-and-down kind of a roller coaster. They got red hot, Ollie Gordon, the second in company. But your your thoughts about, with all due respect to what's happened to them, that they have this right in front of them to play for a Big 12 championship. Is this one of Mike Gundy's best coaching jobs? Man, it's such a strange season so odd to see them start the way that they did and then obviously get on this hot streak and it's just you I want to say yes to that but I also have so many questions about what happened last spring 
What was your evaluation this summer? Why did it take, you know, three games within the regular season for you to figure these things out? You know, like it just uh, it just seemed like, I mean, to be completely honest, you know, Oklahoma State should have two more wins on their schedule. They should be probably ranked in the top, you know, 10 going into the this year. So I was wondering, you got to give them credit for for after that bye week, figuring it out, right, and taking the field and really leading a charge to, to get to a strong year. But, you know, there's a lot of questions as far as the evaluation process for Oklahoma State, um, spring and fall camp and getting into the season. Where do they miss, right? Where do they screw up? And that's got to go on the coaches. So I'm conflicted, you know, incredible middle of the year, but the start of the year was uncalled for and, and seemed to be a little bit ridiculous to have the worst loss in 20 years on your home field against South Alabama, you know, South Alabama came in with confidence and didn't just win the game. I mean, they beat the hell out of Oklahoma State in that game. So, uh, yeah, just a, a weird season. And even going into this weekend, guys, I have no clue what to expect or what team is going to show up. Like, it's just so random, uh, the success that Oklahoma State has had this year. Obviously, they've had a lot of great running backs walk through those doors, uh, Sam. But uh, Ollie Gordon, the second, as uh, Smokey mentioned, just your thoughts on you know the leagues, uh, the nation's uh, leading rusher, tied for the the lead in the entire country. Uh, obviously, got derailed a couple weeks ago, but rebounded and got back on track last week. Is he too much of their offense in the long run when you start to think forward? And and just in general, what have you made of, of what you've seen of him? You know, Ollie is the as the individual right in the back what a freak like i mean that kid is a freak of nature and i've seen you know you guys know i was on the field in the big 12 when it was the best conference in college football period and i've seen great backs at texas and i played against adrian peterson and i you know i i have again i've blacked for several great backs that are nfl players my own that kid reminds me so much of peterson in the way that his upright running style and then the fact that you get to the fourth quarter and he's the only one that seems like he's just getting warmed up, right? It's like he surges through the fourth quarter. Even like this weekend, watch the way that that kid in the fourth quarter gets up and almost sprints back to the huddle. It's like, are you not, how are you not tired, right? And you got to give it up to Rob Glass and Oklahoma Strength and Conditioning team. Like they're, they're literally one of the top five programs in the country. And Ollie Gordon looks like quite the, uh, recipient of just excellent strength and conditioning over the last couple of years. I mean, that kid's body is is unbelievable. But he just gets stronger as the game goes along. And I think when you look at Oklahoma State and how they simplified that run game earlier in the year, they got rid of a bunch of that RPO stuff, which as I'm an old 60-40 run guard out of Youngstown, Ohio. I'm basically a goat. That's what you pick up a guy like me for. If let me play football in a phone booth. I don't want to hear any garbage about trying to run past option and and negating my just natural aggression off the line of scrimmage. I think it's one of the worst things for offensive line in the game right now is that run RPO because it just doesn't allow you to unleash because you've got to be careful not to get too far down the field. And so I think they got rid of that, and now they're just this straight-up traditional, you know, just zone up front run game has really helped that offensive line just kind of unleash themselves. I and mean, when you've got a back like Ollie Gordon who's not that first contact, you know, my, the best back I played was with Tatum Bell. We called him T-Speed. God bless him. That kid could run. He outrun everybody on the field, but he wasn't great in that first three yards in the line of scrimmage. He could get knocked over, right, because he was just a smaller guy. Ollie Gordon, you don't have to block perfectly for him. You've got to get a shoulder on somebody, a hand on somebody, and he's going to do that work for you in that first three or four yards as you get through that line of scrimmage. So he's the perfect back for an offensive line that's not necessarily 
great. He's making that group look great. He's helped them improve tremendously with their confidence, but he's he's the majority of the reason why they're successful. You know, and as far as is he too much of the offense, you know, as, as I think that every time Allen or Bowman throws the ball, I'm just like, there's a fingers crossed, like, please don't throw it to the other team. But here lately, you know, the kid's out there playing his game and he's got a lot of moxie and swagger to him. He's going to go throw it down the field and try to make some plays. And if they can stretch the field out and keep getting it to those key players, you know, Brendan Presley and some of those guys, um, they're, they're going to have some success. You know, they want to run first, but I think Bowman, especially in that Bedlam game, I thought the game plan was perfect. You know, he's going to throw out there. I think he threw it in the first, you know, 10 out of the first 15 plays. And he was looking around like, I thought they were going to try to run the ball, you know. And, and so when Bowman had success, the run game opens up easier. And, you know, they just ground and pound for four quarters. Sam, also, we I, I forgot who it was, but somebody who we had on earlier this week mentioned that Ollie Gordon, when he takes the handoff, by the time he gets to the offense and defensive line, he's at full speed along with the fact that he's a physical freak. How much, as an offensive lineman, does that make it even easier or want to block for him? Yeah, no, it, it definitely makes it easier because his ability, I mean, it's like an explosion when he hits the line of scrimmage. And it's very, very odd that he can do it because he's doing it in basically two steps. He's not a short, choppy runner. You know, I mean, you've seen guys in the past that, you know, take short, choppy steps in that first three or four yards of their run. This kid is striding in the backfield. And so, but, but the ability to essentially dead leg, dead leg in the backfield, make a cut, you know, pause for a second. He reminds me so much of Le'Veon Bell. Also, right, like the patience that he has, even though he's at full speed, there's a moment where he allows things to develop in front of him and then hits the hole correctly, right, at the right time. It's been magnificent to watch. I mean, he's a special player. That kid can stay healthy. Uh, he's got you know high draft pick written all over him. He's the perfect sized NFL back, catches the ball well out of the backfield. I mean, he's he's legitimately a, an all-everything talent. You mentioned Bedlam at the start, and uh, what a win that was for Oklahoma State. I know Mike Gundy kind of downplayed it during the week, and oh, it's not the way that it used to be, and then right afterwards he's talking about what a huge win it was. But what did you kind of think of just, uh, the, I guess, the idea of the rivalry? You know, obviously there's some some bad feelings of, of how it's going to change for at least the foreseeable future, but uh, is it the same as it was even going into that game and coming out of that game? Just what were your thoughts on what was a massive win for the Cowboys over the Sooners? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine that it's not the same as it has been for 100 years. I mean, I get what Mike was saying in regards to, you know, the access that these kids have to each other. It's It's got to be strange. You know, I mean, you're going to – camps around the country and you see each other and now with social media the world's about the size of a of a thimble you know so yeah they they have a better understanding of of who each other are and i'm sure they do you know there was a conversation about forget who it was some quarterback at oklahoma state was taking a vacation with a quarterback at ou and i thought that was just appalling because i'm pretty sure if i would have stepped foot on ou's campus in 2000 i would have had my butt beat and the mm-hmm. same thing vice versa we would have absolutely been fighting in the streets and those two teams would have ventured down to uh, the opposing campuses. So I think that is weird. But come game day, I mean, just the, narr- the narrative in Oklahoma year in, year out is OU is, you know, little brother this and, and Oklahoma State's this and look at the record this. And, I mean, I, I was so upset. I mean, it was my dad, when I was a sophomore, put, I don't know if you guys remember that Tommy Harris Sports Illustrated cover mm-hmm. with the rain on him. So my dad sends, like, 12 copies to the equipment staff at Oklahoma State for them to paper, wallpaper my locker with it this is in like september so i just stared at tommy harris for like seven weeks leading up to bedlam 
And by the time the game got there, I was feral, literally feral. Like I didn't sleep Thursday, didn't sleep Friday. They thought they were going to have to like drug me to go to bed before the game. Like I was just sick about playing. I wanted so bad to get on that field. And I just can't imagine not feeling that way to play those guys because it is constantly, you're just being bullied about it. And, and as you get into the professional space, you know, as a former cowboy, I'm at the freaking water cooler in my station. And I got Jenny from accounting talking about how she can't wait till bed to put little brother in their place. And I'm like, okay, Jenny, you can go back to your cubicle now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a, it's just a different vibe. So, yeah, I mean, I think the hate is still there. And I think when you saw them take the field, you know, that everybody levels up a little bit. And uh, I think it's a shame that the game is not going to be played. Like, it just seems like you've got grown men, grown men and women that are in charge of, of these decisions that are just not doing the best, making the best decision for their teams, for their state, for their universities. If you're Mike Gundy, of course you want to play Bedlam. You want an SEC opponent every single fall you want that in your non-conference because all it's going to do is get you more national television exposure and for a guy that recruits consistently in the 40s or 50s you think that he would do his very best for his team to get that exposure you want to play Oklahoma and if you're Oklahoma you want a power five or now at least you want that kind of opponent in your non-conference also like what are you scared of you did nothing but beat the hell out of them for 100 years right play that game it's the best thing you could do for the state and it's a shame that they just can't come to an agreement to make that happen. Well, Washington and Washington State, of course, have had a not a messy divorce, but very similar to that with what's happened. And they're gonna they found a way pretty quickly. Didn't look like it, but they found a way. Sam, uh, with what the Big Twelve is now, Oklahoma and Texas might play for the championship. They played the game back at the Cotton Bowl. They'll keep playing that for another hundred years. They're about to leave. We know that. But the Big Twelve moving forward. Uh, the decision by Bob Bowlesby to add four, then Brett Yormark and company to add four more. What are your thoughts about the conference starting next year? I mean, it's not what it used to be. You know, 20 years ago, I had the pleasure of playing in College Station, and I played Lincoln, and, you know, Missouri was with Brad Smith. was great. Colorado had, you know, a couple of, of NFL backs every single year. And, you know, the conference was strong and physical and tough and nasty and had intimidating – home field advantages across the board. And, you know, it's it's come a long ways from there. But I will look around the country and say that at least it feels more stable than it has in the last, you know, 2009 happens. And I'm looking around going, man, I'm not going to be able to tell my grandkids, you know, what the Big 12 is, or even my son, who's seven. Like, am I going to be able to tell him, um, you know, what the Big 12 is and him know what it is and be able to watch Big 12 football? So as a former Big 12 member, I'm pretty happy that the conference looks about as stable as it can be in its turbulent times in, in college football. Like, it's going to be able to survive at least. Um, but it's, you know, it's definitely not what it used to be. I'm sad to see OU and Texas go. I'll never forget watching Texas take the field for the first time as a true freshman on the sidelines. And, you know, you know it, you know, because I grew up, I'm, I'm, from, I'm an Ohio kid. So, like, college football is like a, it's like a religion to us. So, I remember watching Texas in the 90s with my dad and, you know, that American flag coming out of the tunnel. And then it was, you know, Casey Stoddard was there and Cedric Benson was there. And they were just bigger than life. And then here come the Sooners in my first uh, Bedlam game as a redshirt at home. And, you know, they had, uh, you know, it, it was just this huge offensive line. And they were going to play for a national championship. And it was the first time that, that uh, Oklahoma State Stadium was filled that year because they were terrible my year, my very first year. I think they won three games or four games. And it was just awful. Tech beat them like 50 to nothing that year. I mean, it was a miserable season. But come Bedlam, the place was just like a hornet's nest. And 
I've just, I would just loved it as a college football fan, as a kid growing up watching Ohio State, Michigan, growing up watching Texas and Oklahoma and Nebraska, and just the history of the of the conference. Like I just, I just loved it, and so it just feels less. Um, it feels less. I don't know. Like you know, you just don't get that sure that nostalgic feeling about the Big Twelve anymore. But you know, here we are. The brand is still there. We're going to get the WWE brand <laughs> on the Big Twelve championship, and we're just going to try to survive, I guess. Yeah. Now, uh, with your, you said you're from Ohio, and you played at Oklahoma State. How did they find you? I, I know you were highly rated in, in high school, or whatever. How did Oklahoma State? Can you tell us that recruiting story? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll start in Columbus. So it was um, myself and Anthony Munoz's son wow. were one of the highest two rated uh, offensive tackles in the state. We go to the Ohio State football camp together, and every year Ohio State's got like an offensive-defensive line challenge within their camp where the best in the country show up. From California to Maine, you're getting the best offensive line and defensive line in the country show up. So we end up finishing first and second in this competition I think I was 330 pounds at the time. I ran like a uh, five flat or five, I think a five flat 40, maybe a little bit of five flat. And uh, Munoz was like a four nine guy. And so we're looking at each other as coach. Um, oh God, what was his name? Who was the coach at Ford Trestle? I can't remember the guy's name. He was a real jerk. No one liked Cooper? him. Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, John Cooper. Cooper. So yep. Cooper. Yes. So he calls us into the office. And so my dad's there, Munoz's dad's there, and we're like, this is it. Because I had no plan. I, thought, I knew I was going to go to Ohio State, right? And he looked at both of us and said, we've got grant money for you two. Whoa. And we looked at each other like, wait, what? <laughs> and it was this devastating moment for both of us. as We were like, wait, I don't know what you're saying. There's no scholarships for us. And he was like, we didn't. We don't have them. We don't have enough scholarships for you guys. And, and he got fired the year after because some Ohio kid would show up for another team and just beat their butts. Yep. It seemed like every year he was losing somebody and they would just show up and, and play well. And, and so Munoz ends up at Tennessee, you know, where his sister was playing for Pat Summit. Well, I go back to the drawing board and, you know, Georgia Tech, they were running that triple option. And like I said, I was a run, you know, a big dude out of Youngstown and I just wanted to run the football. And so I considered them pretty good. Miami came in late. Michigan State came in late. And then Oklahoma State came in very, very last. And I just knew about the conference, right? I didn't know anything about Oklahoma State, but I sure as hell knew about Nebraska, you know, being from Youngstown. When Nebraska showed up to recruit, we put suits on, you know, like just like Notre Dame. It, it was either Ohio State, Nebraska, and Notre Dame got the most attention from Youngstown schools. I played in the Steel Valley, right? That's where Stoops and Mangino mm -hmm. and all those guys. So, like, we cared about that a lot. So I knew Nebraska, I knew Texas, knew A&M, knew Oklahoma. And I was like, well, I'll go out to Stillwater and check it out and – you know, the thing about Stillwater was probably the reason I went because I knew that I would focus on school and focus on football because there was just nothing there, right? The stadium was trash. The, the school was not extremely impressive. The weight room was not impressive. But the conference, the call of the conference, to be able to play against, you know, the league's best brands was too much for me. I just wanted to, I wanted to play in College Station so bad. So I ended up just, you know, committing on my recruiting trip and everybody was shocked that that's where I chose. My mom was like, are you kidding me? You're going out to Oak Lake, they, they get, did you see peepees when you're out there? I'm like, are you kidding? They ride horses that's cool. I'm like, mom, please, please stop. <laughs> they yeah. have vehicles, vehicles in Oklahoma. But yeah, I just ended up, it was the best decision I ever made. You know, I played as a redshirt freshman and I uh, had a great career and ended up being an All American and, you know, played against some of the best college football teams of all time in that era. 
Um, you know, the, the only team that we didn't beat to my time at Oklahoma State was Texas. And that's because Vince Young was, you know, immortal at the time. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I just loved it. Yeah, so I ended up in Stillwater. Yeah, and, and he had games against Oklahoma State that were historic. Uh, the comebacks. Oh, yeah. uh, oh my goodness. Um, oh, yeah. He's three times he had him on the ropes, and three times I, he came back and beat him. Yeah, back-to-back. I remember that, and, and uh, he just found a way. If you don't mind me, one question about when you played – the game, and you were talking about how you want to pound somebody in the mouth, whether you're a defensive lineman putting pressure on the offense or vice versa. What was it like as a lineman knowing that you were taking eventually wearing out attrition, physicality, mentally, the soul of the opponent across the line from you? No, there's nothing like it. Like, that was the goal, right? And so I had a less miles as an old offensive lineman, so which made it even better. Like, he completely understood the value of sticking with the run game. And Oklahoma State at that time, we, we would backdoor a lot of teams, right? Be down for three quarters and come back in the fourth, and people were like, I can't believe they did it again. And we're sitting in the locker room like, no, we know. We know that's what we're doing. We're going to beat you into submission. They're going to see – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically zone block you 65 times in this game. I'm going to put my 330-pound body on you 60 times. You're going to be begging to get off the field with me by the time the game is over. There's nothing like taking the heart of a man across from you in the line of scrimmage. There's nothing like seeing them put their hands on their hips and they're starting to pant and they're starting to look down and the defensive huddle is backing off the line of scrimmage. Like that's when you know you've got them, right? When the defensive huddle all of a sudden goes from three yards to the football to now it's five yards to the football and now it's six yards to the football and they don't even know they're doing it. They don't even know that they're not lining up close to the line of scrimmage anymore. Because we're just beating the hell out of them over and over and over again. St. Bless had like eight plays that we would run as far as run blocking were concerned. Eight of them. It was not fancy. It was not tough. It was not hard. It was basically line up and beat the ever-living hell out of the team across from you. And let's see how they react to it. And that's how we won a bunch of games. Oklahoma State had like 24 good team players on that on those teams back at that time. Or if they're beating... Oklahoma and beating all these teams that we shouldn't have beaten, going down to College Station and winning games. Everybody's like, what, how are they doing it? It's because we were just tougher. Les recruited pirates. He wanted you to be – he didn't care how fast you were, how big you were. He wanted dudes that were in the fight in the field, period. That's it. That's how his pregame speeches were. I just felt – I honestly wonder if Les cared if we won again. He wanted to see someone toted off the field. He wanted to see the other team dragging to the bus after the game. And we loved them for it, right? We ran, I think we ran 1,300 or 1,400 live snaps a spring in Oklahoma State. And people wonder why he failed at LSU, and it's because he didn't have that type of kid, right? You, that type of kid falls in love with you in Stillwater, right? That type, that type of kid believes in you in Stillwater when you want to push him that hard in the spring. You go tell some blue chips to Texas. Right? This is why Charlie Strong failed at Texas, because he was doing the same thing at Louisville. You go to Texas or you go to LSU and tell some blue chips, hey, we're going to run 1,300 live snaps in the spring. They're not doing it for you. They're not working that hard in camp. They're not working that hard in the spring. But you go tell a bunch of Oklahoma boys, right, or kids from the Ninth Ward down there in, in Houston, hey, we're going to put this work in at the University of Houston. Dana Holgerson did, right? I mean, it was uh, – was it Dana Holgerson? Yeah, in the uh, late 2000s, I feel like, or 2009. Was he at Holgerson there in 2009? No. The first time he was there. Oh, he, he might have been on the staff. Uh, Bryles was there at the end of 2007 and then left for Baylor in eight. And I'm not yeah, sure. That's right. uh, it, it, Kevin Sumlin, I think, replaced him at Houston uh, yeah, when Bryles left. Right. Yeah. Yeah, when they beat that number two Oklahoma State team, 
um, in Stillwater. Like that was a tough, gritty team. Also, just practicing their asses off, right? Like that's that's how you do it, and that's how Les was. And so I I just loved them for it, man. It was nothing like just the grind of it all. Sam, happy Thanksgiving. Glad you're feeling better, looking better, uh, getting better. And uh, we, man, great storytelling and great insight on Oklahoma State this year, but also uh, the history and your career recruitment and much more. Have a great week. Have a great holiday weekend. And also, let's enjoy some more games. Yeah, you guys call me anytime. I love doing this show. You guys are great. Have a good Thank one. Thank you. Sam Mays. Uh, again, selloutcrowd.com, former Oklahoma State lineman. What a bunch of great stories from him. By the way, one college football note of interest, James Madison has now decided no longer to pursue legal action against the NCAA for bowl eligibility. Uh, they've been denied many times. We discussed that, of course, with Tarleton State's Dr. Uh, Hurley. And then also, uh, what was it, Jacksonville State was a part of that too. They now will just wait to see how many teams get to six wins if there aren't enough they'll be first in line to get to a bowl game before even, I think, the teams that are 5-7 and seven that would have that option. Yeah, I mean, uh, probably the smart move uh, also, especially after you just lost last weekend. Mm, so kind yeah. of dings your whole puffing at your chest. And, and, you know, I understand why they did it. I also understand the argument of the rules are the rules. Um, but, you know, why not at least throw your hat in the ring and try to see if maybe you can get a change made? And look, what, you know what? You, you know you're not going to if you don't make the effort, but if you try and all of a sudden they're saying, you know what, we will tweak it, then then you get a, a huge opportunity ahead of schedule. So it was worth the fight, but then if you turn right around after all that PR work and you get beat, um, then it kind of deflates you a little bit. So, yeah, I think it's probably best for them to just, you know, move that to the side for right now and uh, let the chips fall where they may. But uh, obviously, like I just said, I understood where they were coming from. Uh, but a little bit, uh, you know, of road still left to hoe, and uh, and they weren't able to get the job done last weekend. So, yeah, that, that pinged that story a little bit. I saw Brett McMurphy. I believe it was Brett McMurphy that listed uh, yet another team this week, got the six wins, and that's one more bowl slot, no matter if it's the, one of the higher-ranked bowls of the college playoff or even the other bowls that are played. But there are still like about 20-something openings. And, of course, we could see all of them filled uh, maybe even as early as this weekend or because it, it, it won't be the next weekend because there won't be teams playing for the conference championship that don't have at least six wins. Most of them are going to have 9, 10, 11 wins. Uh, when we come back, Jed Drenning covers – West Virginia sideline analyst for West Virginia Radio. We've had Jed on many times, breaking down what has been a year. I've had others from West Virginia reach out to me and say, hey, do you feel like Neil Brown's done enough to move on? I think West Virginia's been one of the great stories in the Big 12. There are others, but they're one of them. There's like four or five angles of pretty nice stories because he was on the hot seat big time at the end of last year and even, in fact, earlier this year. So Jed Drenning will join us at uh, a little bit after uh, the uh, 4 o'clock hour. This is 365 Sports. So on December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, our great friends, the Duvall family at TexasBeefHouse.com will have a merry beef auction online. You can go to TexasBeefHouse.com and look for it. There's a beef auction link at the very kind of a top, just inside the left side, offering the 12 lots for the 12 days of Christmas, all packed with variety of steaks, tri-tip, short ribs, brisket. There's an online catalog, of course, it will be on the website very soon. Shipping at bidder's expense. Follow the link uh, that they'll have, and you can bid 
uh, and it's a, a, a silent auction on both the first, second, and third of December. What is TexasBeefHouse.com? Uh, East Texas beef, uh, aged Wagyu beef, premium grade. Uh, Texas Beef House provides quality farm-raised Wagyu beef. The difference between their beef and store-bought beef is simple. Most beef purchased in the grocery stores or fine steakhouses have been raised in feedlots designed for mass production of beef. At Texas Beef House, on their ranch, their cattle raised in open pastures, unlimited supply of grass, an intense rational rotational grazing program, including planting summer annuals, winter annuals, so their cattle can graze all throughout the year. The Duval family has found something very special, and they do something very special at TexasBeefHouse.com. Call can make all the difference on and off the field. I'm Mark Stewart with Bird Colgen Ford. When it's time for a new car, truck, or SUV, Bird Colgen Ford is the right call. Come check out our award-winning lineup of best-selling models in their class, like the Mustang, Explore, Expedition, F-150, and Super Duty. Make the right call for your next vehicle at Bird Colgen Ford. Bird Colgen Ford proudly supports Baylor Athletics. Sikkim Bears. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Don's Humidor, your home with a 48-foot walk-in humidor with the elite cigar brands from around the world, including the number one cigar of the year, Aging Room, Quattro Nicaragua. Plus, they have the great brands like Macanudo and Artur Fuente, Rocky Patel, Aston, and so much more. CBD, great for sore muscles, aches and pains, sleep, Vita Dreams, and anxiety, mild depression, general health and wellness. Their staff, very knowledgeable on the subject. If anyone is curious about CBD, ask Carolyn Ashley. Don Schumanor in the Talwa Shopping Center off Valley Mills in Waco. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike, whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco, is your holiday item superstore. Half spiral hams, 8 to 10 pounds for $4.45 a pound. Pit hams, 12 pounds for $4.45 a pound. Bone-in hams, 18 to 22 pounds for $3.40 per pound. Whole raw turkeys from 12 to 16 pounds for $2.50 a pound. Whole smoked turkeys, that's smoked turkeys at 9 to 12 pounds for $3.75 a pound. And many pit hams, 6 to 8 pounds for $5.99 a 
a pound. And don't forget, they have full service butcher shop where you can find what you want, pork, poultry, seafood, and beef. And I bring up the beef because big beef tenderloin or a prime rib. Brian Bauer and the Bauer family. Full service bakery with fresh baked kolaches every morning and bread. And cold beer and wine. Tailgate needs from pellet fuel to charcoal. Waco Custom Marketplace and the holiday items 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. This is 365 Sports. Text us at 254-339-1122. The text line is sponsored by Riverbend Liquor and Wine with the most extensive variety of craft beer in Waco. A hidden gem on Lakeshore Drive and 19th Street. Jed's Redding, sideline reporter, analyst for West Virginia Radio. Does an incredible job covering West Virginia, but also the Big 12. And Jed joins Craig Smoke, David Smoke here on 365 Sports. Jed, happy Thanksgiving. I know you're traveling to come to Waco by the weekend, but uh, we want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, it, Neil Brown, is there still any warmth at all in his uh, on his seat? Well, I can imagine. Uh, but I, as I always preface that response with, that's way above my pay grade. But, <laughs> uh, you know, Vegas pegged us at uh, – Four and a half wins over under. So we're sitting here parked at seven with a game to go and a bowl game. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, I've heard chatter that, that he's going to be in the conversation for Big 12 Coach of the Year just based on the level to which we have overachieved. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, that would be my take on that. Jed, uh, what did you think of the rushing performance last week against Cincinnati? Uh, just uh, an incredible showing. Um, something I know that a lot of Baylor fans, given their rush defense, are pretty concerned about, uh, even more so after last weekend. But your, your thoughts on that win and, and just sort of where they found themselves positioned here entering the final week? Yeah, I don't think the O-line was happy with the way they performed, obviously, in Norman uh, against the Sooners. And, uh, and then that was compounded by the fact that a few days later, uh, the finalist list for the Joe Moore Award, which goes to the outstanding offensive line in college football each year. The finalist list came out uh, with the top or final 15, and West Virginia's offensive line wasn't among the top 15. And I, I think that they, they took that personally. I really do. I mean, that, that's one of those awards, guys, that, that you know all about. It. It's cool because it's a group award. It's not an individual award. Uh, so those O-lines really take a lot of pride in, in being in the conversation to be part of that. Uh, and, and I think ours does as well. So if you're going to look at any metric measuring the success or productivity of an offensive line, I defy you to find one that, that suggests West Virginia shouldn't be among the 15 best in the country. I mean, when you look at what we've been able to do, uh, for, we've been pretty consistent with it too. Uh, we're averaging 5.1 yards per carry. That's the most by a West Virginia offense since 2016. We're averaging 233 rush yards per game. That's the most by West Virginia offense since Pat White was playing in 2007. Uh, and in league play, we're one of two uh, Power 5 teams in the country that have allowed just three sacks. So how we are not one of the 15 best offensive lines in the country, I don't know. Uh, and I think the offensive line at West Virginia would agree with me. And they took that personally. And going against that Cincinnati front seven that has a couple NFL guys in it, which Juwan Briggs, Dante mm-hmm. Corleone, uh, I, I think they came out wanting to play some nasty football and see if they could push those guys around and make somewhat of a statement, and uh, that, that's what you saw. How much does what Garrett Green is uh, 
You know, he's not the perfect guy when you look at what a quarterback is supposed to be, but I love his intensity, his physicality. He's not big, but he seemed like he runs big. How much does it help also having someone like him for them to uh, block for as well? Yeah, sometimes he runs too big. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't say it. At least a couple times a week, I'm, I'm reminding him on the sidelines, protect yourself, protect yourself. You don't need to be a hero every snap. But, but uh, yeah, he's a junkyard dog. and <clears throat> He leads the way. And Neil has said many times he gives us a chance each week out. We always feel like we have a chance with Garrett. He's electrifying. He's explosive. Uh, he plays on the edge, doesn't leave anything on the field. And, and really what he does with the skill set that he has, he, you don't have to make the perfect call. Sometimes you can get just as much production off script as you can on script in terms of, of him seeing something he doesn't like, tucking the football, finding a crease, finding a seam. So uh, it puts you in much more manageable situations. And really, more so than anything, it forces the defense into an 11-on-11 11 on 11 equation versus an 11-on-10 proposition when we're running the football. So uh, if you combine what we've got out of the productivity of the offensive line, uh, the depth we've enjoyed at running back, and you put Plug uh, Garrett's skill set into that, uh, I think it's been a good fit. And a lot of people have tried to indict him because the completion percentage is hovering in the low 50s. Well, fair enough. But I would also point out that we have pushed the football vertically. Uh, more than any point in, in several years. And a matter of fact, more than any uh, team in the Big 12, I think we're averaging, when you look at Garrett's numbers, 24% or so of his throws have been 20-plus yards downfield. That's the highest number in the Big 12. So we're pushing the football vertical. Plus, he's doing his part in helping us avoid some of those sacks. So sometimes he hits the peanut fender in the ear with it instead of putting himself in harm's way to survive and advance another down. So uh, yeah, I think there's some easy access throws that he needs to do a better job of completing to get that thing up in the, the mid-50s or even push 60%. But we're a vertical pass game team with a quarterback who can run, and uh, that's by and large worked for us this year. One thing that was noticeable last week with that big rushing output that it was a lot of green, a lot of white. Not as I mean, Donaldson contributed, but not in, in a major way compared to those two. I know he's a little banged up, uh, uh, Jed. So what is kind of the status as far as this week as opposed to last week when it appeared it was more of a game-time decision with uh, C.J. Donaldson? Well, that's just it. He was in the green jersey last week. It was a game-time decision. Uh, we wanted to be cautious with how we proceeded with C.J., uh, he's further along this week than last week, but he's still not at full health. And I don't mean that in the sense that nobody's at full health because here we are at this point in November. It's football after all, right? But but uh, I still that's something we still do need to keep an eye on. But I think he's further along than he was. But uh, Jaheim has stepped up at the right point. Uh, and when you look at uh, Justin Jackson, he's in the mix as well. And he's a, a steady hand that we've been able to lean on as a third option there too. So They've kind of shared that burden and shared that load, and it's worked out well for us. Jed, uh, when Neil Brown was at Big 12 Media Days, we had him on. He was pissed. Uh, You could tell it was an edge to him, as it was to the group that was there with West Virginia and Arlington. One, uh, they were picked dead last in the league, and I'm one of the idiots that had him at the bottom. Uh, I really am. I admit that. But I, I was so impressed when he sat there and discussed how can anybody with any kind of football brain think a team with our offensive line and who we have coming back can be that low? Uh, he's kind of how much of that chip do they still have even now? It's November. It's not going away until the season ends. The number fourteen is prominently displayed throughout the building. Uh, I mean that has been the jet fuel throughout the course of this entire season. That level of disrespect. 
they're saying, all right, this is a football team with the most battle-tested offensive line in the league with at least two, if not three or more, NFL guys on it. We think some of the best guys at their position, not just in the conference, but potentially in the country. And we brought all those guys back after finishing the season with wins against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Four newcomers, what exactly was everybody looking at to think that we are 14th on that list with this offensive line? Does, does blocking no longer matter in the game of football? I mean, that's, that's kind of what they were looking at. We're like, we kind of think blocking does matter. And everything else from a success standpoint can be downstream from that. And, uh, but, you know, in, in fairness to those who, who questioned us, uh, you know, Garrett wasn't inserted until late in the year. There were some question marks with all the new faces on the defensive side of the football. Uh, I, I think it was fair to question us. I just think that those in the building looked at it like question us to the point that we're 14. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. So I think that was the case. You, you know, one of the things I had, Craig, I just, there are like eight teams, and I just kind of probably could have just thrown up a bunch of pieces of paper, picked them up in order, and maybe that's how I did it, which is admitting that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about. It's difficult to look at that. I mean, this, this league has such parity in it. It really does, now more so than ever. And it's difficult to distinguish number four from number 13. I mean, on a given Saturday, I mean, what all? What did we learn from the Oklahoma State Cowboys trip to Orlando? I mean, anything is possible. I mean, if, if you don't bring your best level of football and come to be competitive, you're going to get run out of the building. And that's always been the case in this league at large. I mean, I learned that. Our first big club loss, guys, coming out of the Big East in 2012, we were unbeaten and nationally ranked, pushing the top five, fresh off a, a big win at DKR to the lights. We had to turn around the next week and go to Lubbock. Well, we didn't show up to play for that football game, and, and it was over at halftime. It was 35-7. to 7. Neil Brown, ironically enough, was the OC for Tommy Tuberville's Texas Tech team. But that's what we learned. In, in the old days of the Big East, maybe if you were facing a struggling UConn team, you didn't play well for the first half, your punishment was you were down 14 to 10 at halftime and could recover. Well, this league will leave you behind if you don't show up to play. And uh, that's pretty obvious. But uh, it, it's a very narrow margin separating the best teams from what will be considered the bottom of the pack. So, yeah, I agree with that. Jed, I think uh, with the, the Big 12, especially the influx of new teams, there's going to be more, obviously, coming next year. But everybody's still kind of learning the lay of the land, feeling out like what the rivalries might be, things of that nature. I don't want to make uh, West Virginia, Cincinnati sound like it was Oklahoma and Texas or anything, but was there anything to you know them meeting for the first time in a while, just for those of us who don't really know the personal side of that history back in the Big East and so forth? Uh, was that a, a big deal, or did it not register maybe the way that that I think it may have. It was nice to get a familiar face back on the schedule uh, from the days of yesteryear. But I, I think really it's going to matter to Mountaineer fans next year when we have a chance to travel to Cincinnati. Gotcha. Uh, that's where it's really going to matter. Uh, even, even going to UCF, guys, uh, that's not a traditional rival of ours. They weren't a member of the Big East. Just to stay in the East Coast for a road game hmm. was such a relief. It was such a relief just to have an hour and 45-minute flight, stay in your time zone, fly down, get home at a reasonable hour. It felt so fundamentally different than any of these Big 12 road games that we're used to. So I think that's where Cincinnati is going to come into play. I think West Virginia fans are excited about the opportunity to actually have a road game that we can drive to because the biggest disconnect, I've always said that culturally, we sit hand in glove in the Big 12. When you look at the other fan bases and the other schools and the other cultures around those programs, 
it's a perfect fit. But geographically, it's been a challenge because West Virginia is a team that traditionally has a fan base. Our fans would travel to all these big East games. They jump in the car and drive six, eight, nine, ten hours. They they do that with a smile on their face. But our closest road trip in the Big Twelve was Ames, Iowa, almost a thousand miles away. So that made that difficult to the extreme. So getting a couple East Coast teams makes that a little different, a little more appealing. And I think that's the role that Cincinnati will play moving forward. But I can see a buzz around that football game, sure. You know, I I I don't think anyone appreciates it unless they deal with it. You can't appreciate that if you're Oklahoma State or teams in the midwest or in the Central Time Zone or whatever. UCF's going to deal with it a little bit. It's good to have, like you said, Cincinnati in that uh, neighborhood. And now you're going to go even further west because of the four incoming schools. You don't need to remind me. <laughs> hey, Jeff, I, I saw Especially you. when he just sounded so yeah. relieved at the, the Orlando trip and the Cincinnati yeah. trip. Oh, yeah. my, oh, yeah. my yeah. God. Like, we, were, we were, I did the old show last night because uh, uh, Tony Caridi's out of town. So mm-hmm. Andrew Caridi sat in the Neil's coaches show early because of the strange Thanksgiving week and all of it. And uh, there were some fans in town from Tucson. And they wanted to meet Neil, so they approached the table during a commercial break and, and explained that they were from Tucson. And Neil said, yeah, we're out there next year. And, and again, just at that point, I was like, mm. oh, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Just for a second, I forgot about that. But, but you know, the, the, other, the other part of that is it's had this effect as well. The olive branch that the administration has tried to extend to Mountaineer fans is, well, sure, you can't travel to these conference road games. But I'll tell you what we're going to do. Well, the rest of the conference is scheduling one P5 and then a couple teams they can beat. We're going to go to Penn State and Pitt. How about that? Yeah. So our non-conference schedule has been far less manageable than most because of that, just to give our fans some opportunity. We played under the lights at Lane Stadium and Blacksburg against Virginia Tech on a Thursday night. So, yeah, we, we've tried to give our fans an option from a non-con standpoint to at least have a game they can drive to. And what that's done, it's made our schedule much more difficult than it otherwise would be. Uh, and I don't blame the rest of the Big 12. Why wouldn't you schedule one P5 and a couple winnable games? That's an ideal schedule. But, And I think that's something you'll see West Virginia try and work with Ren Baker, try and work our way towards. But that's made it even more difficult. I've always said our 6-6 six and six and everybody else is 7-5. and five. But, yeah. but that's, that's something else that comes from those challenging road games. How much has Ren Baker brought stability? Football winning helps everywhere because Baylor obviously is going through what they're going through. But how much has Ren Baker stabilized what was and could have been kind of a turmoil type of a transition? I think he's the right personality, the right guy at the right time. And, and you know, I think Shane Lyons did good work when he was here. Uh, but uh, he's a different type of AD. Mm-hmm. Ren is uh, a new age kind of AD in this age where we have to find, you know, revenue streams and, and to some extent push the envelope like everybody else is in the age of NIL. You have to create money where it otherwise doesn't exist. I mean, he's been very transparent in saying that, look, when you look at West Virginia traditionally, when we've had success as a member of a league, it's been when we were at least financially in the middle of the pack of that league, like in the old Big East days. When we were winning in the Big East, we were at least in the middle of the pack financially. Well, that's not the case right now with West Virginia. We're somewhere in the bottom third, so we have to find some way, instead of complaining about it, to create non-traditional revenue streams to propel ourselves or elevate ourselves up into the middle tier. But but I will say this, you know, while Shane Lyons was here before he was gone, uh, you know, the, uh, the facility renovations are going to serve us well for a handful of years moving forward, this arms race especially, 
guys, in the, in the age of NIL, you don't really know what's going to happen in terms of you can't burn the candle from both ends. It used to be that you spend all your money on improving your facilities to, to impress recruits. Well, now it's been said, the head coach of Maryland recently said, look, these kids will get dressed in a trash can if you give them 25 grand in their pocket, right, from an NIL standpoint. So we put all this money into facility renovations, and our facility is right up there among the best in the country. And I'm not so sure that you're going to see those types of things as mainstream as they were before in the age of NIL. So, uh, yeah, as, as Ren tries to settle in and find these new ways to generate revenue, at least our facility is up to speed and did, did just recently undergo those renovations because we'll probably need it. How good is Zach Frazier? And is he under the radar among those who are, like you mentioned, a part of these various lists? How, how just solid, dominant, and I guess you could say consistent is he? Uh, he's very consistent. Uh, he's kind of been the cornerstone. When Neil took this job in 2019, we were historically bad running the football. I mean, we were having to dig back into the 1960s to find the last time we struggled to run the football the way we did in 2019. Zach was a true freshman and started as a true freshman in 2020, the COVID year. And around Zach, we built this offensive line that we now know and love. We've got a couple of Spring Valley tackles here in West Virginia high school kids that we think they're NFL guys as well. One, Doug Nestor, just played his last game at Mountaineer Field. Wyatt Milam will be back next year. Uh, and then we filled in around Zach, but he has been the absolute building block cornerstone of this offensive line. I don't think there's a lot of holes in his game. And when you talk to some of these guys in the NFL, I mean, we're nearby some of these Steeler folks, and Steeler scouts will just absolutely tell you off the record, uh, hey, I'd like to see him in black and gold. People get excited about what he brings to the table and the level of consistency. And I think you saw that. I think Zach was pretty amped up to go against Dante Corleone because Dante Corleone, is, in my estimation, one of the better interior defensive linemen in this league. And he's a guy who will play on Sundays as well. And Zach really showed out and played a heck of a football game against him. But I think he's going to bring a lot of value to somebody. He's an old wrestler, so leverages his game, and that served him so incredibly well. But I could see him playing in the league for 10, 12, more years, guys. He's, he's one of those types of kids. Plus, he's just a well-rounded great individual i mean he really is he speaks sign language he learned it uh because a family member that can only speak through sign language so he's, he's a special kid he's a special leader he's a great presence in anybody's locker room uh so i'm excited to see what he's going to do with the senior bowl and beyond and i think he has a tremendously bright future jed one more thing thanksgiving tomorrow uh what if you had to put together the perfect plate for a Thanksgiving meal, knowing there's like 12 different things you can just like slam your face into a plate, what would it be? Well, Smokey, you call it stuffing or do you call it dressing? First, I call it dressing. But I, I okay. if it comes out of the turkey that you cook inside the turkey while it's cooking, then I, then yeah. I, to me, it's stuffing. Technically, it's stuffing. I'm just an old school turkey stuffing slash dressing, mashed potatoes and gravy. Now I do our green beans and bacon in the crock pot. Yep. But this, this we're gonna we're gonna venture out a little bit this year. My older son, who's in college, helps me do a lot of the cooking. My wife takes care of the baking. I hate to bake. I love to cook. And we're gonna actually. I've been hearing about the the deep fried turkey for so long. I wasn't ready to take the dive on the turkey, so we got a game bird. So we're oh. gonna do the turkey in the oven as we always do, and we're gonna deep fry if weather cooperates. It might be snowing here tomorrow, actually. But we're going to get in the driveway. I'm not stupid enough to do it in my house. So we're going to deep fry this game bird in the driveway. And I'm eager to see how that goes. So that's how we're mixing it up this year. And make sure that that turkey, yeah, like you you have a lot of space around you. 
because and, it, and it's not frozen because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you will have a volcano of lava and oil everywhere yeah. enjoy it jed be careful on the trip here to waco we'll see you on saturday thanks for your time we appreciate it guys thanks so much jed drenny west virginia football sideline analyst with us on 365 sports uh, which craig among the teams that were not supposed to be good who's the best story west virginia is one of them Kansas, I think everyone thought was on its way up. They've had their ups and downs. Who's the best story? We don't have a TCU or maybe even a Baylor from two years ago. Who would that be? Uh, I think it'd probably be West Virginia. Um, you know, I think Texas is a pretty good story, sure. but they're not allowed to really be in that conversation, are they? Because they're Texas, and so that's just expected. But I think if you just treat them like everybody else, it's a great story that they're you know, 11 and one potentially at the end of this road, very likely here at the end of the week, uh, you know, by beating Texas tech. Now maybe Joey and company have an ace up their sleeve and they're able to pull the upset and and really create a lot of chaos. But I think Texas and just Sark and the potential of having only the one loss and being in the playoff and and all of that um, in the final year of the big 12 with all the talent that they have, like they're a good story. It's just a different type of story. I think Iowa state, um, given what their season started off like, the fact that they were over halfway through conference play and still in the Big 12 title race, uh, no longer the case here with just one week to go. But, I mean, they were in the mix for quite a while and, you know, had an opportunity to uh, create some some noise and some chaos along the way as well. Like, couldn't finish the job against Texas. Um, could have had a, an even better year, but given what the expectations were after losing you know, multiple players, including your starting quarterback, your starting running back, to you know now have it to where Rocco Beck's like one of the great freshmen in the country right now uh, in terms of what he's been able to do, but also now how optimistic you are about his future because of what you've seen and just the way they've kind of rallied together uh, to be you know a highly competitive team and to make some noise. I think uh, they're great in their own way. And, uh, you know, Oklahoma State, I would would have thrown them in there if not for just a couple of really ugly blemishes. But if they can find their way into winning the Big 12 title, you know, and redeem themselves from the Baylor game a few years ago, especially so unexpectedly, uh, that would be a a great story. But, yeah, I'd say, you know, Texas in their own, you know, unique way. Iowa State and uh, and probably West Virginia would be the most interesting because everybody else has taken a few lumps or it's been a little bit of a disappointment. So, yeah, I think that those are the ones that I would go with off the top of my head here. Yeah, I think West Virginia, because of who everyone thought they were, including the idiot of me, when it came to putting together that Big 12 preseason poll, Texas, remember, was overwhelmingly uh, the pick to win the Big 12. And it did have some grit to it, uh, rather than maybe the last eight or ten years when they were up there because – of their name and the expectations. Uh, One note, uh, Neil Brown in pretty good spot. Three of the five offensive linemen starters return. Donaldson and White uh, with Garrett Green in front of them back as well. It appears that way. Uh, Every single receiver is back. And so only 12 players walked on senior day at West Virginia, their last home game. So it will be interesting to see what they do and reload. And again, it's uh, doesn't mean doesn't guarantee anything, but there we are uh, with that. When we come back, it is called the game. It is an unbelievable scene. Uh, Ohio state, Michigan. I'm old enough to absolutely remember getting up on Saturdays and watching early in the morning, uh, the Ohio state Michigan game with both Shem Beckler and Woody Hayes along the last 50 years or so. And they play 11 o'clock. 
Big Ten Division Championship on the line, Big Ten Championship appearance on the line, National Championship on the line as far as the college football playoff. Dan Hope covers Ohio State for 11 Warriors. This is 365 Sports. IdealMRI.com, Dr. Rob Maxey and the partners there have uh, done an incredible job. Ideal MRI in the Central Texas Marketplace, uh, right off of I-35 in Waco. And here's the thing that makes them so special. They're going to they're gonna get what you need done. One, uh, a muscle, a ligament, something that's bothering you. I've had this, like, hip, annoying hip issue. Is it bone on bone? No. Uh, is it a muscle? No. Is it a ligament? No. I know that because Ideal MRI has helped me find that by finding that it's not that. And so it's a nerve issue that kind of also traces back to my lower back that when it wants to flare up, it wants to flare up. But I found out that it's not something that I have to do surgically. Ideal MRI will do that for you, whether it's your lower back, whether it's your hip, whether it's your knee, whether it's your shoulder, wherever it is that hurts that you have to take You don't want to, but you have to take something to get rid of the pain. You can't sleep well. You're tossing and turning. There are times even during the day where it's just like you just shut it down. Ideal MRI is going to find out what your doctor needs to know, what you need to know, and the images that will put up on the portal so they can find out and give that information back to your doctor and you very, very quickly. And the best part, not, well, that's a great part, $497 or less, Every single time, never more than that, sometimes less than that, in the average is $1,100. It is IdealMRI.com in the Central Texas Marketplace off I-35 in Waco. In our logo and advertising, we say we are people that you can count on. What does that mean? It starts with providing a quality vehicle and quality service at a fair price. But it also means we do what we say we will do, and we treat people fairly with respect. It starts by hiring great people, good local folks who work hard with a caring attitude. Our employees are the real reason we are people that you can count on. Put us to the test and see for yourself that at Richard Car Motors, we are people you can count on. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby is a homegrown, locally owned pizza place that's out of this world. Everything from the dough, the sauce, the sausage topping is made fresh in-house. Not to mention the amazing pizza pillows, the chicken wings are to die for. Try the sick of sauce, chili cheese fries or tots, plus great specials on food and drink every single day. Shorty's is also the perfect spot to watch the game with your friends. Shorty's Pizza Shack at 12th and Bagby. Tell them Paul sent you by. Want to know why Stonewood Dental is so successful? Listen to what happy customers have to say. It's pleasant. It's different than any other dentist's office. I really feel like they care. And it's not that you're here for two hours waiting on someone to take care of you. It's quick and easy, and, you know, I bring my kids, and my kids love being here, too. They really love the treasure box. <laughs> staff is really nice and accommodating, real friendly. You feel more like home. It's not sterile looking. Everybody has their own personalized rooms with decorations and decor, and they'll even have a blanket for you when it's cold. (laughs) I've recommended people to actually come here, and they are patients now. I really love it here. It feels like family. Learn more. Stonewood-Dental.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. 
Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge checking and savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB, your bank for life. Member FDIC. Three Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers, too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrip off I-35 in Carrollton. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now here's David Smoke and Craig Smoke. All right, 365 Sports continues. One of the games, and it probably without question, maybe the game of the year, Saturday morning in Ann Arbor, Ohio State, Michigan. So much involved in this rivalry, so much on the line. And also, uh, Dan Hope joins us, 11 Warriors, who covers Ohio State. Dan, thank you with uh, Craig and Paul. Uh, Paul's out. Craig Smoke and David Smoke. Uh, This game over the years has been the game for a long, long time. Have you ever seen such buildup as this one because of the extracurricular stuff going on as well? No, I, I think this really is about as anticipated as this game has been in a long time. And it might be the most anticipated this game is ever going to be because you think about next year when the playoff is going to expand to 12 teams. I don't know if we're ever going to see another regular season college football game quite like this where everything is on the line. You know, the way the playoff is, is shaping up this year and you've got all five conferences still in it at this point, this really does feel like a true – college football playoff quarterfinal game between Ohio State and Michigan Big Ten title on the line and and then like you said you've got everything else that's built up to it with this scandal of Michigan that's dominated college football headlines for the past month which I think has just made the hatred between these two programs grow even stronger and so yeah it's certainly uh, about as much build-up as I can ever remember for this game. Dan, there's obviously a lot of noise out there surrounding Michigan, a lot of chatter. I mean, unsurprisingly, I think Ohio State fans obviously are loving every minute and and think Michigan's the the worst you know thing in the world. But sorting through all that noise, what's kind of been the perception of this whole thing and the Big Ten and you know just sort of the way this has unfolded here over the last couple of weeks from a Buckeyes perspective? Well, yeah, you're right. Ohio State fans have certainly enjoyed this story. I mean, you can just look at the traffic traffic numbers on our website for anything that's been written about it over the past month. And it's been uh, very popular among Ohio state fans, but you know, I, I think the thing, you know, it's interesting when you get back to this game is I feel like, you know, this game on Saturday, not that it necessarily should be, but I think that it is ultimately in, in some ways going to shape the perception of that story going forward. Because I think if, Ohio State wins this game on Saturday, it's going to be easy for Ohio State fans to say, 
well, Michigan just won the last two years because they were cheating. But if Michigan wins on Saturday, then it's like, well, what's your excuse now, Ohio State? So, uh, you know, I think – I don't necessarily think it should because every game is different. But I do think that, you know, depending on how this game plays out this week could shape some of a perception for how that story is perceived going forward. You know, it, it, what is it like in Columbus after losing to Michigan? Because for the longest time, it was like that in Ann Arbor for what seemed like a decade. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of a, a dark time in, in Columbus when Ohio <laughs> State loses to Michigan. It's you know, it's uh, it, it it really is for Ohio State fans. It it, it it's everything to them, and so uh, you know, to lose you know not only once but twice in a row. And it's something that, you know, Ohio State fans have had an experience for a long time. I mean, there was so much dominance for two decades, you know, Jim Trestle era, Urban Meyer era that, you know, for Michigan to win that game in two years in a row and do so in dominant fashion is something that, you know, especially younger Ohio State fans haven't really experienced. And so it's a new thing for Ohio State fans. And I think certainly leading up to this week's game, it, it just increases the hunger for the Buckeyes to get a win. Dan, where does your mind immediately go when it comes to this matchup and and the the importance level of the you know the various storylines here? Where where's like the the immediacy as far as you what you think is the most important factors in this game? Well, I mean, certainly, you know, it's the game that you expect to be a, a defensive battle with the way both these defenses have played all year long. Uh, Ohio, Michigan's ranked number one in the country in points allowed per game. Ohio State's ranked number two in points allowed per game. And so, you know, I, I expect it to be a lower scoring game. I don't expect either offense to have a huge day here. But when I think of it from Ohio State's perspective, I think, you know, the really important thing I look at for Ohio State is stopping the run because this is a Michigan team that wants to run the ball a lot. You saw it in the Penn State game a couple of weeks ago. Michigan ran the ball 32 straight times to end that game. And so I think if Ohio State can successfully stop the run or at least limit the run game and force Michigan to make plays through the air, I think that could be Ohio State's biggest recipe for success. Now, obviously, they tried that last year. It didn't work. But I think Ohio State's secondary is a lot better this year than it was a year ago. And so I think Ohio State can be more successful this year with you know playing to stop the run and being able to trust its defensive back to win those one-on-one matchups on the back end. It's going to be the toughest test of the year for sure for Ohio State's defense. And, you know, you think back to last year, the numbers on defense were pretty good going into this game, and then everything fell apart against Michigan and Georgia. But I do think the defensive improvement for Ohio State is very real this year, and I, I think it gives you confidence that, uh, this defense can get the job done on Saturday. Sell me and us and our audience, Craig, too, um, that the loser of this game, based on how a scenario happens where the loser of this game can still be in the college football playoff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly a tough sell right now because when you look at the, the, the landscape right now, I mean, you've got two teams in the SEC still very much in it in Georgia and Alabama. You've got Two teams in the Pac-12, very much still in it in Washington and Oregon. Uh, you got two teams in the ACC still in it, Florida State and Louisville. And then you got Texas in it in the Big 12. And so they definitely need some help. Now, you know, with that being said, I, I think that, you know, if they get enough help to where you get into a debate of, you know, one-loss teams that you know, didn't win their conference championship, I think particularly Ohio State would have a good case in that argument because – they have that win over Notre Dame and, and non-conference play. They have the win 
over Penn State. And so I think, you know, Ohio State, if, if, it, if enough happens to where they would be in a debate between teams in, in, a, in a losing situation here, I, I think they would definitely have a chance to get in again this year. But I, I think the likelihood of the loser of this game backdooring into the playoff is definitely lower right now than it was a year ago. Yeah, I think we talked to you uh, back maybe towards the start of the season. There's still a little bit of you know talk at the very beginning about the quarterback situation. Obviously, Kyle McCord took over. The rest is history. They're in this spot. He's been very consistent. But how would you describe his play? Uh, you know, having taken over the reins and just how that's gone throughout the year. What stood out to you most? Yeah, I mean he he's not CJ Stroud. He's not Justin Fields. He's he's not performing at that same kind of level, but. He's done enough for Ohio State to win every game. You know, he's, you know, in, in games against Notre Dame and Penn State, when they needed him to, to make plays against tough defenses, he found a way to do so. And so, you know, I think it's still, uh, you know, I think still you, you think about how is his season going to be defined. I, I think a lot of it comes down to this game on Saturday. And I think there's still uh, kind of an open book there in terms of can, can Kyle, if Kyle can go out on Saturday and play really well against Michigan, then I think. Ohio State fans are going to think of him very favorably. I think if he doesn't play well and, and Michigan wins, then there's going to be a lot of people wanting to see a new quarterback next year. And so, I, you know, I think overall, I think he's been good, but I think the standard at Ohio State over the past five years has been so great that he, he hasn't gotten to that level yet. And I think a win over Michigan is really what he what he needs for people to start talking about him that way. I saw the note uh, on your Twitter feed. Ohio State shows Kyle McCord over childhood Buckeyes fan J.J. McCarthy. How much does that play into this as well? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a storyline. J.J. McCarthy is someone who, I mean, he admitted this week that he grew up rooting for Ohio State. He wanted to be a Buckeye back in the 2021 recruiting class. And Ohio State chose Kyle McCord instead. And so, you know, I think it's certainly something that, you know, you look at this week. I mean, the way, you know, J.J. McCarthy's played, he's already gotten a win over Michigan. And so I think this week does serve as a test of that choice for Ohio State that, you know, if, if Kyle McCord was, in fact, the right guy, now's the time that he's got to show it. What, uh, Dan Hope with his 11 Warriors on 365 Sports. What did you think of uh, Jim Harbaugh's comments or lack thereof when asked about Ryan Day? I guess that was, what, yesterday or the day before? And just what – how would you describe the, the kind of the back and forth of the relationship uh, or lack thereof between those two? Well, yeah, Jim Harbaugh was asked Monday about Monday. if he respected Ryan Day, and he didn't answer. And then Ryan Day was asked Tuesday if he respected Jim Harbaugh, and he didn't answer. So <laughs> – I think I think those non-answers I think those non-answers are pretty telling about what these two think of each other right now. I don't I don't think that they're uh, going to be spending time together hanging out in the off season. You know, neither one of them wants to outright say they don't like each other and give the other team bulletin board material, but they're certainly not the best of friends. Dan, uh, my question for you on recruiting, Ohio State pretty much gets whoever they want. There are what, maybe 8 to 12 programs around the country that for the most part do do they rarely – are there times they just miss on somebody else? And if if the case – how often do Ohio State and Michigan recruit against each other? Is it a lot more than maybe even we realize? I mean, it's definitely picked up here over the past couple of years because of the success that Michigan has had in this rivalry. I think, you know, if you look back, you know, four or five years ago, 
there weren't that many battles that Michigan was winning over Ohio State because Ohio State had been so dominant in that rivalry and Michigan wasn't really in the national championship picture. But now that Michigan has you know, won back-to-back Big Ten titles, they've made back-to-back college ball playoffs, Michigan is, is now where they're competing with these top schools around the country for some of the top players in the country. And so uh, those battles are certainly happening. You know, it's not just with Michigan. I mean, Ohio State's also battling Georgia and Alabama. And, you know, you know Ohio State has, you know, taken a very national recruiting approach. Sure. So, uh, you know, they, 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 they're battling with a lot of different teams. But I think uh, certainly the battles between Ohio State and Michigan have picked up. And, you know, really one mm-hmm. thing we've seen – more and more of the past couple of years is Michigan trying to steal recruits from the state of Ohio, from Ohio State. And, you know, there's been some of those battles that uh, Michigan has won. Uh, Ohio State has won uh, their fair share of them, too. But uh, to see Michigan come into the state of Ohio and uh, pick up a couple of highly rated recruits uh, that Ohio State was also interested in, you know, certainly speaks to how Michigan has been able to get more of a foothold in recruiting thanks to their recent success. Dan, thank you very much for your time. Happy Thanksgiving. We appreciate you. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me, guys. Dan Hope, 11 Warriors, covers Ohio State. There's a quote from Kyle McCord on his on his Twitter feed on 11 Warriors. When you're a little kid, you dream of moments like this, two undefeated teams in the biggest rivalry in sports. You can't draw it up any better than that. But I think at the same time, it's all about the preparation during the week. It's all about putting in the work and giving yourself an opportunity to succeed and go out and succeed Kyle McCord on the game, Ohio State-Michigan. Yeah, I mean, they've had a string of star quarterbacks, and he's not you know, necessarily in line with those guys, but he's been you know, steady and good. And uh, like you know, we just got done hearing, uh, that'll be you know, a legacy that's defined uh, by games like the one coming up on Saturday, the game. Um, and so, yeah, it's got all the makings of a classic, uh, two very, very good defenses, two capable offenses uh, with some explosion um, and some stars on on that side of the football as well. But, uh, yeah, I think that the defenses are going to be a lot of fun to watch and just the atmosphere is always top-notch and the implications are as great as they've ever been. Uh, you do wonder, does that lose a little sizzle moving forward in the new playoff era where this game doesn't have as much meaning behind it that the winner and the loser both are pretty much still guaranteed to make the playoff? Um, you know, I guess we'll see when we get there and see how different that feels. It does kind of sound not as fun in my head that, you know, but then again, I don't think I'll be complaining a month later when Michigan's mm-hmm. having to play Clemson and, you know, uh, first round playoff game and the winner goes to play Oklahoma like I think I'll be just fine by then and and won't you know uh dislike it that much but it it is kind of odd to think of the fact that a game like this in a couple years or even next year would be a game where yeah the the winner gets in probably and the would certain the winner would definitely get in with these circumstances and the loser would definitely get in as well I I believe um you know obviously we'd have to see how other results would go around the country but you know that gets into the thing we started talking about the 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 beginning of the show and like the the playoff and who has to do what and all that like I didn't entertain it too much because I just feel like it's going to work itself out like I really believe that it always usually does it does and like and and I know the thing to do in and especially in a role like this is to sit there and go like well what if such and such but like I'm just more of a a let it play out. I'm just more of a, of a different thinker of like, yeah, let it play out. And like, let's see this weekend. And, it, and you know, if this weekend, 
Uh, everything kind of remains as in. You're heading into that final weekend. Then I think, okay, you're one game away from there actually having to be a decision made. But there's so much chaos that occurred this weekend that you could spend hours this week. Well, what if Alabama does this? And they could lose to Auburn this week for all we know. You know what I mean? And like, and so that's part of the fun. But but I do think that a lot will get settled on the field this weekend and make that conversation obviously a lot clearer because it won't be a well. Could Ohio State sneak in? Like they're either gonna you know, lose a close game and have an argument, or they might get blown out and that argument doesn't even exist no. any longer. Yep. So um, that's part of the fun. You're right. But, um, you know, I am I am looking forward to seeing some clarity actually out there on the football field. Uh, and, you know, then if there's still chaos remaining, I imagine there will be some level of chaos. And, you know, that'll be uh, fun to talk about next week. Interesting note. This is from on the 11 Warriors Twitter feed from Chase Brown, who covers the, the Ohio State Michigan Ohio State's 2021 recruiting class. First of all, you get these guys in your team. You're you're gonna you're used to this. But Marvin Harrison Jr., Amika Ekbuka, Travion Henderson, Denzel Burke. All these guys are like very very much in the in the mix of first team All Big Ten or All American and big honors. And then JT Tuamalola, who's a defensive lineman. These were all a part of the same class who have not beaten Michigan. When you have those kind of rivalries and you play at a school like Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, OU, Auburn, Alabama, all those games, Army-Navy, and you don't beat the other in your time, whether it's three years or four years or five years, it's miserable for you the rest of your life when it comes to the football part of your heart and soul. When we come back, Ricky Thompson, Baylor receiver back in the day, also sideline reporter and analyst. He'll be around the corner. My conversation with Baylor women's basketball coach Nikki Collin as the non-conference schedule continues after the win a week ago. Big-time win for Nikki and company against Utah at home. Hey, don't forget, every weeknight at 1030, 365 Sports Tonight on the local CW. Also, our holiday programming, we are here with you today We will have a couple of days where we give everybody a chance to get out on the road or wherever you're going to enjoy your Thanksgiving. And then we'll be back on the air Saturday at 4.30 with our Baylor pregame against West Virginia at 4.30 here in the studio with Garrett Paul, and I'll be here as well. And finally, we're not done. Coming up, we'll have more. A couple of notes about UCF and Houston, that Space City rivalry. This is 365 Sports. Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat, Ted Teague, GM, and also CEO. Man, they always have it going on with Black Friday sales coming up this weekend. It's been going on throughout the month of November. If you have never driven in a Ram truck and you are wanting a pickup truck, well, if you've driven one, you know, you know, you have your brand. That's what you go to, like Michigan, Ohio State, the brand of Ram. The new 2023 Rams designed to be durable, functional, and stylish. I am amazed when Ted Teague has allowed me to drive some of their vehicles around, even if it's for a day, a half a day, or even for a weekend. How amazing, how smooth, because you think of a pickup truck and it's, you know, it, it's, it's rough and tumble and all that. Well, they are still that way, but it's like driving as luxurious of an SUV as you could possibly imagine with what's inside the cab. Ram, what it means when it comes to pickup trucks, premium options, luxurious leather trim seating, surround view cameras, exceptional legroom, storage, 
And what they now have found, the hidden areas in a pickup truck where you can store something on the inside and out. Award-winning product, Ram Truck, speaks for itself. Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram Fiat, Loop 340 east of 84 in Waco. With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Niche Group Insurance Agency. With the Niche Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Niche Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Niche Group at 1-800-258-8302. Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. Did you know that one out of every four men have symptomatic low levels of testosterone and don't even know it? And if you think you're too young to worry about it, guess again. Low T levels can make you feel tired and grumpy, raise your cholesterol, and cause weight gain. Petty Clinic Low T can set up same-day blood screening and results. So if you're tired of being tired, call or go online at PettyClinicLowT.com. It's a private clinic with an atmosphere catering to men. Affordable, only $165 a month, including lab work, office consultation, testosterone injections, and follow-up visits. Compared to $300 or more a month in Dallas or Austin, and you don't have to drive 90 miles one way or the other and fight the traffic. Petty Clinic Low T has board-certified physician consultations and will provide the best form of brand-strength testosterone. Contact Petty Clinic Low T for increased energy, improvement in sexual desire and performance, mood, concentration, even a decrease in body and belly fat. Just off Highway 84 and Old Hewitt Drive in Woodway, PettyClinicLowT.com. There are 26 letters in the alphabet, over 600,000 words in the dictionary, and just three of them said together can change everything. Let's order pizza. Those three words lead to dough made from scratch and three fresh signature cheeses that blanket golden crust in a heavenly melt on Marco's Pizza that'll blow your mind. So visit Marco's.com to order and stop by Marco's Pizza in Bellmead, China Spring, Woodway, and in Robinson. Marco's. Pizza lovers get it. From the first workout to the last practice, sports is an incredible challenge. Hi, this is Dan Engel with the First National Bank of Central Texas, and we're proud to support each athlete, every parent, and our educators. From families, small businesses, to the biggest industry, we're here to help. With remarkable products like instant-issue debit cards free at all of our banking centers, we've got banking ideas that fuel big dreams. The First National Bank of Central Texas, familiar faces making local decisions. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is 365 Sports. The Sikkim 365 app is brought to you by Alan Samuels Dodge Chrysler Jeep Ram Fiat. Come by, let's be friends. All right, here we go. This uh, 4 o'clock hour winding down. Ricky Thompson joins us in just a few minutes. Also, my conversation with Baylor women's basketball coach Nikki Collin. 
Craig Smoke, David Smoke, Garrett Ross here inside the studio. And again, we do hope you have a great holiday weekend. But we're not done with a lot of great games to get to. And also, we will be every night on the CW at 1030, thanks to Emory Winter. Craig Smoke, all right, here we go, Big 12. Two games on Friday. TCU Oklahoma has Big 12 championship implications, as does the game that evening, Texas Tech at Texas. Let's start with the Frogs coming off the whipping of, uh, of Baylor, Oklahoma. He's just kind of hanging around. They have the win against Texas. The loss to Kansas is what's going to get them if they don't get in, but that game early on Friday morning. Yeah, interesting to see how healthy Dylan Gabriel is uh, right after last week, but uh, haven't you know seen anything alarming as far as the reports go. Um, and, you know, being at home, uh, I think Oklahoma with that shot to still, you know, sliver to be able to find their way into the Big 12 title game, I think they'll be ready to go. But, you know, TCU does have a little bit of confidence uh, that was lacking prior to last week thanks to just simply getting a win no matter how you get it. But to get it against your rival and to do it in emphatic fashion I think has to be very encouraging for uh, Sonny Dykes and company because it has been a tough year after, you know, the magical run of – a season to go to have your quarterback and Josh Huber throw for 400 plus yards. Um, you know, that was, uh, I think a great thing as well. So I feel like TC will be coming in playing with confidence and also playing with the fact that they have to win this game to get to a bowl game. Uh, they have to beat Oklahoma. This is their last shot to get win number six. So I think on both sides of the equation, you've got a couple of teams that ought to be fired up and foaming at the mouth to get a win. Uh, I go Oklahoma here, especially at home. I just think based on what I've seen from both teams, like TCU last week, like part of that was like, hey, great, but it's also look at who they're playing. Everybody has looked good against Baylor um, at this point. So, uh, you know, Oklahoma's had their struggles here and there, but uh, I right. still think they're the better team. No, I, I do. And, and, I, and again, there's still a reason. Anytime you play, there's a reason to go play. But Oklahoma still has that hope that they could get a rematch with uh, perhaps Texas in the Big 12 championship game. And then the next game, talk about some drama. You had Brett Yormark in Lubbock at that luncheon and talking about how make uh, Joey take care of Texas. UT fans reacted very sensitive to that. And, you know, again, you have the commissioners saying to an open, hey, we want you to go down and take care of another team on their way out, both Texas and Oklahoma playing on Friday. And for Oklahoma, it could be their last Big 12 football game. For Texas Tech, it won't be. For TCU, it won't be. And for Texas, barring something like catastrophic, it could be their last Big 12 game, too, which is interesting they play on the same game. Joey McGuire, the Big 12 starts to run through Lubbock. A lot of things here. Texas has just been really good from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, at some point that quote may come true. They're setting themselves up to to make that the case in the new Big 12 just with the way the recruiting's going and being able to build a couple of solid years together. Um, they are in a bowl game as it stands right now, so that win against UCF and coming from behind to win that and then hold – uh, UCF off was a really big deal because if they were coming into this game with five wins, uh, they probably aren't going to the postseason. Mm-hmm. I think Texas is the better team. I think they're clearly the better team. It's in Austin. Um, I don't worry too much about an upset here. I think it would take like kind of a bad day from Texas uh, to to see the upset. But Texas Tech's going to play hard. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see Taj Brooks against that Texas defense, knowing how stingy they are against the run. And then for Texas Tech, if Taj Brooks can't get going or any of their other, you know, running uh, options, 
Uh, how is Baron Morton able to navigate things through the air? And and if you can take advantage of Texas, where can you take advantage of them? So, yeah, uh, I think this is going to be a great little back and forth. And then, you know, Texas Tech is uh, a stingy little defense themselves. So I think they'll be disruptive, and they're going to play really hard and physical. And um, if anything, you know, it's going to go to the final whistle. I don't know if the, the, the game will remain that close, but Texas Tech is going to play until that I, final whistle, knowing how big of an opportunity this is. But I think Texas, too, knows, like, it's all there for the taking in our hands. Yep. Like we just have to go handle our business. It would do be it miserable at home, if they didn't book a Big Twelve title shot. And and so yeah, I think this is big for both teams. But I would imagine that Texas is going to be pretty locked UT in. UT can book it and then wait to see what Oklahoma State does the next day or Kansas State. Also, depending on what happened earlier in the day with Oklahoma. Well, plus they play a playoff host absolutely. Still, so yep. they've, they've got a lot of reasons to be jacked up for this. But yeah, I know Joey and company will be geared up as well. So that'll be a lot of fun. All right, we can blow through these pretty quickly. Ricky Thompson right around the corner. Houston and UCF. Don't worry about that tweet, Garrett, because I still don't quite understand. They're going to end up with some sort of trophy about Space City. They're very proud because of NASA. Houston, uh, we have a problem. Dana, Dana Hogerson brought that up. He goes, they don't say Orlando we have a problem. We know Cape Canaveral's a, what, 30, 40-minute drive from Orlando. I drive by that when I fly in to go see my brothers, fly into Orlando, skirt that area. Craig, UCF coming off that win a couple of weeks ago when they hammered Oklahoma State, uh, and now Houston trying to see maybe – uh, dependent if I don't know, but it seems like Dana Hogerson's back for another year. Yeah, I think uh, you know that's probably likely. Um, but you know, this is going to be a, a an interesting game for uh, both teams. I, I know there's still it's kind of like the West Virginia situation where Dana Hogerson could probably you know have won a couple more games and people are still going to not want him to be back just because that's you know there's there's segments of the uh, of the fan base that just don't like him. But you know they've had a couple of good moments. Obviously, with a little bit of this trash talk, it makes it interesting. They can't make a bowl game, so all they can do is close out with a win. So there's the motivation, a little space rivalry as well. Uh, I think is a fun little element to this. But for UCF, I mean, you're at home. It's a familiar your opponent you got the space thing you know this it's kind of bubbling there um, but you need a win to go to a bowl game and to go to a bowl game after the way the season kind of got off the rails would be a really big deal for them they're big favorites in this game you know Houston's been very up or down um, week to week and so I'm curious to see how they perform here on the road uh, against the Knights but uh, UCF's got a lot to play for here and uh, I think that uh, they're, the, they're the favorite for good reason in this game. They've won 7 of 10 against Houston in the history. Of, uh, most of, of course, a lot of that in the American Conference. Then, uh, BYU. Been a disappointing year for the Cougars. Oklahoma State, up and down. We spoke with Sam Mays earlier about this. Chance for Oklahoma State is right at their doorstep to be playing in the Big 12 championship game. Yeah, and I do think, uh, going back to UCF Houston real quick, I do think if they sort of formalize that space race and name it and all that, I think that, that pairs with Farmageddon really well. And then if TCU and Baylor could figure out, like, the revivalry is the thing that makes the most sense, I think that's some good marketing and kind of, like, you know, rivalries that aren't going to be nationally popular, but that are uh, unique and cool and have their own little fit that fits those rivalries um, but, yeah, as for BYU-Oklahoma State, I mean, look, BYU's got a lot of work to do. Uh, they've taken some lumps this year after a nice start, uh, but reality sort of set in there, and uh, they've got a lot to address in the off season. But for Oklahoma State, I mean, it's all right there in front of you. Just go win this game. You're playing for a Big 12 title, and you've got an opportunity to, uh, you know, get that win that you feel like you should have gotten a couple years ago 
when uh, you couldn't get the ball into the end zone uh, yep. on the final play. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, but for BYU, as much as they struggled, they win this game. They not only get a big top 20 win and they disrupt the Big 12, but they also get into a bowl game, which given where they've been the last few weeks, that would be a really big deal for Kalani Sataki and company. But they're big underdogs, uh, so it'll be uh, easier said than done, especially on the road. TCU, BYU, and also UCF have a chance to get to that sixth win. We've discussed West Virginia with Jed Drenning. We're about to discuss Baylor with Ricky Thompson. We'll go through that game in the next segment. KU and Cincinnati. Cincinnati, of course, 3-8. and eight. Kansas with a nice run. 7-4 and four with Lance Leipold and the Jayhawks. Nice momentum from last year into this year. Some high hopes. They're still pretty good. They've been a fun story again. Yeah, it's been fun, but have now taken a couple losses. You know, had an opportunity to play for the Big 12 title and then quickly lost their last couple of games that uh, negated that. You know, what's the situation at quarterback? We've seen Cole Ballard here. Um, you know, getting the reins because of injuries after Jason Bean had to take over for Jalen Daniels. They did get the news that Jalen Daniels is coming back. That's yep. huge, but it would be even bigger to go 8-4. and four. That would be really big uh, for KU, um, you know, on the road, makes it a little bit more interesting. Cincinnati obviously has struggled mightily uh, here in their opening uh, Big 12 debut year, uh, but they finally got their first win um, in Big 12 play, and um, you know to get the second one would be a really big deal. They're only slight underdogs being at home here, so um, you know that's uh, that's interesting to see that, especially I guess with the Cole Ballard situation. Maybe that's playing into it. I don't know, um, but just six point dogs uh, against what you think would is a pretty superior Kansas team but uh yeah that's that's a game that doesn't have a lot of sizzle but it is big for KU to try to get their eighth win in the regular season it'd be big for Cincinnati to to knock off a team like KU speaking of Farmageddon Iowa State Kansas State that's the night game Saturday night Kansas State still has by then they'll know a chance to win whether or not they get to play in the Big 12 championship game Iowa State Gave Texas struggled first half, eventually UT with too many weapons. I think this could be a hell of a game, but I think Kansas State still, despite the loss uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think they're in, in uh, not, what was it, three weeks ago, I think they're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I mean, their their odds for getting in the Big 12 title game is, uh, is kind of slim, but there is an opportunity if things fall the right way. So you are, um, you know, excited about that fact that there's at least a possibility heading into this weekend but obviously things will be cleared up by the time they take the field yep. as the as the final game here so they'll they'll know what's what by the the time this kicks off but regardless it is you know the the, the farmageddon uh, rivalry let's not blow it up to make it too you know it's not like the big 12 canceled oklahoma texas or you know well bedlam or but it is a big rivalry for those schools um they and played so, 106 yeah times. no yeah. I, i'm just saying it's it's not the end of the world but i know for those fan bases uh, it's not the end of the world nationally or even regionally, Big 12-wise, but I know for those schools it is a, is a big deal, and I do think it was probably a mistake to not have that continue on when you have that much of a, of a history. So uh, knowing what they know now, that it's not going to be an every-year thing, you know, I think that adds a little element of spice here, but I think just in general these two teams don't like each other. You've got that history, and you've got a couple of teams that are pretty good, and obviously a win for either one of them would be a big deal. So, yeah, I think that they'll both be – geared up and uh, and ready to go and, and beat the snot out of each other here. So, yeah, that ought to be a lot of fun as the uh, Big 12 nightcap. And, yep. and, yeah, I would say Kansas State's the, the better team. I think that they would, you know, obviously be the or should they, be the fairest to win this game. They can still get to 10 wins. They beat Iowa yeah. State. Whether they play in the Big 12 championship game or not, they have nine wins if they win this weekend and then the bowl game down the road too. Now, when we come back, Baylor, uh, is this Dave Aranda's last game? That is at least a part of the conversation 
Can they somehow pull one out after they've been in this funk now, really from start to finish of this year? Sideline analyst Ricky Thompson next on 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on for great customer service and for great pricing and uh, some great options when it comes to trying to get into a new vehicle or just getting your car serviced. And uh, they have been your your go-to uh, for buying or getting your car fixed up here in Central Texas for a very long time now. And the name on the dealership's not just a name. It's a great man behind that dealership in Richard Carr. So let he and his people over there at the dealership help you like they've helped me on so many different occasions over the last few years. And right now, uh, they've got a lot of great deals over on the lot, uh, especially if you're looking to get into a new vehicle. There's a lot of construction going on, uh, but they want to make it worth your while getting on over there. So how about the power and strength and stunning and of a GMC Sierra. For those interested in a truck that has it all, we'll look no further than the GMC Sierra. And right now, take advantage of the holiday savings on cars and trucks happening now over at Richard Carr, where qualified buyers get 0%, uh, 0.9% financing and no payments until 2024. On new 2023 GMC Sierras in stock, plus military and first responders can save an additional $500. And restrictions do apply, so you can see dealer for details, but uh, many ways to contact them in person, over the phone, on the website. Check out the great deals like the GMC Sierra right now over at Richard Carr. And if you're not looking to necessarily buy new, but you are looking to get into a, a new vehicle for yourself, well, they've got a lot of great vehicles on the lot because of the fact that they trade for the best. So they have a lot full of quality pre-owned cars and trucks in stock. Around 100 used cars and trucks to choose from, all inspected with a 172-point inspection and the Richard Carr seal of approval. Plus, the financing goal is 100% credit approval as they say yes when others say no. So check out the dealership that's been in business for 24 years in Central Texas and has built a reputation as the people you can count on for your automotive needs. Run by proud Central Texans. Log on to richardcar.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em, Bears. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at Alliance AllianceBankTexas.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be a part of the Waco community. We're a small family business right here in Central Texas, and our goal is to bring down the cost of health care while maintaining high quality. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important, and unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. That's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through the difficult time. We offer premium MRIs just like a hospital with state-of-the-art technology and specialists, but you'll pay less. So 
sometimes thousands of dollars less, whether you're using insurance or not. At Ideal MRI, we accept most insurance, and there are no hidden costs. Even offering financing, if that's needed, everything included in the price, and you'll not get something as a surprise in the mail later on. If you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. They'll know. You can schedule an appointment safely from home online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or give us a call, 833-IDEAL-MRI, IdealMRI.com. It was broad daylight. I stepped into a gas station for five minutes to grab a snack, and just like that, my car was broken into. They made out like a bandit. My laptop, my phone, everything. I called my agent to see what could be done, and he restored my faith in humanity. My claim was processed so quickly, and I was able to recover my losses. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. Sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Former Baylor receiver and sideline analyst Ricky Thompson joins us. Craig Smoke, David Smoke, on the eve of Thanksgiving here on 365 Sports. Ricky, thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. Uh, can you see them pulling anything like all of a sudden? They just all of a sudden Baylor changes the last game after what we've seen all year? Uh, Smokey, it would be uh, somewhat surprising. I think it's just a difficult point in the season uh, for these guys, particularly when they know it's last game. And uh, it's just a mixture of a lot of things. You got the holiday period. I think the attendance is not going to be very good. Uh, Students are gone, probably won't come back. Like, and I will say historically, the Baylor students have been great about coming back to ball games over Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, Most occasions, those late games have meant something. And this one doesn't have a lot of meaning other than, You've got a group of seniors that are going to play their last game for Baylor, and they were part of the Big 12 championship two years ago. So for those guys, I hate the way this is going down toward the end. But uh, this is going to be a tough game that that points to playing without your quarterback as well. So uh, I, I think they'll play hard. I just think it's an uphill battle at this point. Ricky, what was that like when uh, Blake Shapin was hurt uh, last week and just kind of what did you sense from the sidelines? And um, I guess just what are your thoughts on Sawyer Robertson having not played after getting that little, you know, dabble of experience earlier on in the year? Uh, what can you really reasonably expect with him and, and what do you expect on Saturday? Yeah, well, going back to Blake, uh, Craig, to your point, I, I think everybody was uh, really disappointed in that and to the effect of, of course, at that point in the game, it was done. But if that happens earlier in the game, I think it's really a huge disappointment because Blake has played so well under what I think haven't been very good circumstances with his protection and the shots he takes and the sacks. And I really thought while that play was legal, that was really an unnecessary hit by the TCU guy, walk on, uh, took his shot wasn't a penalty, but that's probably one you can pass on. The other side of it is uh, 
maybe Blake's not in the game with a minute to go in the game over. Uh, put Sawyer in there and see what happens. Uh, going to Sawyer, I think this might be a little different for him in that when he stepped in last, last time, remember, guys, he got hurt pretty early, too. And yeah. I think that ankle was a lot worse than, than we really thought. Uh, he made some a couple of really good runs early, and then we kept wondering, why won't he take off with the ball? Why won't he go? Why is he not stepping into his throws? And as it all comes back, the kid was hurt and was playing hurt. And uh, I think that was really not a fair assessment of him when he couldn't step with – true form to deliver the football. Plus, he couldn't take off and run. You just watch him, how he hobbles. So, hopefully you see a healthy Sawyer Robertson. I think it's good that he gets to play. I mean, I mean, we're we're not playing for a bowl game, and I think that's fine. Rest Blake. Let him get well and uh, see what Sawyer can do. As far as that goes, I think the timing's just fine. Let him play. Ricky, you know, we know, all of us know that uh, there is discussion about what happens after the game Saturday night. Dave Aranda, first year two and seven, then of course the best year in Baylor football history. And you as a former player uh, can appreciate what was done. And then of course last year the way that thing ended and this year it never started really other than the nice comeback against UCF. What are your thoughts about the if you stay the course, NIL is changing, young players, and then the opposite is if you stay the course and nothing changes, you really almost lose another year, two or three. That's a possibility, and that's a decision that has to be made. Uh, that one will go to Mac Rhodes and just have trust that he'll do what's right long-term for Baylor. I, I don't know exactly what that is. I do know that there have been – a adjustments made in the NIL, which had to happen, mm-hmm. uh, were suddenly competitive in that regard. And I think if you compare it to the remaining Big 12 schools, throw out A&M and Texas, because I think they're anomalies, a little bit, little bit like Ohio State, some of the other schools, Georgia, where you have unlimited alumni resources to do whatever you want to do. But back that off, I think we put our NIL in a position now where we can compete with any of these Big 12 schools. So I, that part's done. Uh, coaching decisions, uh, those are some that are going to have to be made. I don't know what they'll be. I think you'll see some changes. I don't know how dramatic that'll be. But uh, I think for a lot of reasons just going into next year that uh, this off season and, and I think, Smokey, I think it's got to be pretty quickly if there's going to yeah. be changes whether it's coordinators or the top spot you got to do it very quickly because the first thing you have to do is recruit your own players and keep those guys and make sure they're not going anywhere then you've got to keep the class that you had and then you've got to start working on new kids so uh, there's not a lot of time remaining Uh, a lot of teams have already pulled the trigger so We'll see where that goes, but I, I think those decisions will be made quickly and then then we'll go forward, whether it's with Dave or new coordinator or uh, all of the, the above. Whole bunch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Ricky, on a scale of, uh, you know, one to 10 or, or whatever, you get the gist. Um, how disappointed, I know there's a lot of focus in the offense, but how disappointed have you been in the defense and, and just their performance overall this season? Well, I think everybody is, and, and I mean, it's not—it's not a secret that they've not performed. And I thought 
Saturday was uh, another case where we really were in a position to make some stops early and did. Remember, guys, they scored 42, but we stopped them twice inside the tent, <laughs> once with a fumble and yep. once with a fourth down hole. Yep. Uh, you kick those two on top of it, and it's really out of hand now. Last score, we gave it to them. We go for a fourth and four on the, what, 30-yard line? I mean, that's that's not a fair assessment of a defense. But I guess the, the part that would bother me more than if you've got a man-to-man coverage and the guy beats your man coverage, then you just get beat. Yeah, that, That's a one-on-one battle the guy wins. But when you have a tight end go untouched 81 yards, that's not the same. And that's a mistake somewhere either by a player or a call or a scheme. But then you get hit again on the same play for third and 25 and you go for a 28-yard touchdown. Those are the ones that I think have to be fixed in some form or fashion because, again, I can take somebody getting beat man-to-man, but just running wide open, uncovered, that shouldn't happen. And that's a match of either an offense knowing what we're going to do defensively or somebody blowing a coverage or a combination of both. Ricky, you're a former player, uh, a letterman, and then also J.J. joins us almost on all Mondays. And both of you guys have been incredibly uh, transparent in how you feel. Uh, You're a part of the radio broadcast. How much has this year as a former player hurt you in a way? It doesn't keep you up at night. You have your own business, Alliance Bank, and all the things you do with your, your, your life. But how much has this season just like been a kick in the gut as a former player? Well, I'm going to go back on you one time. It does keep me up at night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I come in in the evenings after a game, I mean, my poor wife, Carol, it's, we, we got married 10 days before I started my NFL career, and she, she – she knew after which games that I'd talk and which, after which games I would. <laughs> and she knew when we were going to dinner after game and when just to tell our guests, just don't ask because we're not going to dinner. Mm. I can tell you anything. <laughs> so uh, it, it does keep me up. And I, I, I love Baylor. I love the school. And I love to be successful. And, gosh, I hate to lose. I am, am, I am a poor loser at whatever it may be. I'm just – I hate it. So – it has kept me up, and I think it, it it's disappointing in the fact that we had eight eight home games. Uh, we were kind of set in that regard, scheduling to to our advantage, and frankly, got a chance to go one and seven at home, and at best two and six. And I don't think that's what any of us expected. And the 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 part that's really difficult when you love Baylor like I do. The excitement of two years ago, yep. Smokey, was beyond anything you could really imagine. Just a, a, a little unexpected. I think we knew we were going to be pretty good. We had a lot of good guys out there. But then some of the wins that year where you make the plays we didn't make this year to win tight games and then you win the championship game the way you won it, that's just that's the ultimate high in football to me, a, a season like that, and then you get the Sugar Bowl. And I think the tough part is that you follow that with two really not very good years, which you think maybe you have the great year. Now let's build on it. And I think we've had a hard time doing that. Ricky, uh, as uh, I think you, you mentioned, um, 
the NFL a moment ago, and, and that reminded me. I wanted to ask you about Drake Dabney. Uh, he's just a he's a true senior, so in theory he could come back, but uh, has set the new mark for single season yards by a tight end uh, in program history uh, last week, uh, breaking Ken Hodges' record from back in 1964. Uh, he's got a bunch of touchdowns, which tight ends you know hard to come by. Uh, just what do you think of of his prospects as a pro, and just where have you seen his game evolve? I know he touched on during his media session how. He knows he's a threat in the passing game, but he's tried to develop as a blocker as well. Gave Grimes a lot of credit. Just what have you seen from him, and what do you think that that could lead to as far as his prospects moving forward? I think he's got a real shot at the NFL. I think that's the kind of guy that they look for. He may They may want to put some weight on him, uh, get him a little bit heavier, but the guy runs so well for a big guy. And, you know, He had a couple of games in there where I thought, I thought he dropped some balls that he didn't need to drop. One was on a first series against Iowa State remember that mm-hmm. may have gone to the house and could have really changed that game on the very first series and just absolutely absolutely dropped it but then on the reverse Saturday uh, the deep ball that he caught I, I think not many people realize how tough of a catch that was he went up with his hands running full speed and didn't break stride how often do you see a guy on a deep ball just break stride slow down because you can't judge the ball he judged that thing perfectly, had a guy in his face, hands up, not sure they didn't have his hands on him. Not only does he make the catch, but he runs another, what, 25 yards after the catch? The main thing to me would have been just make sure you get the ball. But he not only got the ball, but had a great run. So that's what NFL guys look for. Man, I wish we had him back. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I'm, I'm guessing he'll be gone, and I think he'll be a draft pick. And I think I – think the dude's really got a chance at a nice NFL career. Ricky, thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you Saturday. We appreciate your time as always. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Have a good one. Ricky Thompson with us uh, on Wednesdays. Next week will be interesting because of whatever happens on Saturday evening uh, with Saturday night, Baylor in West Virginia. Uh, I'm sure no matter what happens, as is the case after any game, which is the last game of a team that's not going to have a bowl game, and sometimes even with a team that's going to go bowling to play for a conference championship, the AD football coach may sit down the very next morning, look at the opportunities and or the future. I would think that's the protocol. Uh, after the game with West Virginia, Sunday morning, Mac Rhodes will sit down with Dave Aranda. They'll discuss where they are, what they're going to do, who's going to be a part of what they're going to do, and there could be a change as early as Sunday, or there could be, we're staying with you, and we're going to make these other changes, but you have to be the one that decides what we're going to do along with the new and revamped NIL and move forward. And I, I know that would be tough for the fan base because of how, how just lethargic this season has been. Yeah, I mean – some some guys are getting fired. Like I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. Could be across um, the board. It could be one coordinator or yeah. two or a, a other position coaches, and it could be the head coach, and then that means everybody is free game. Like I mean, something's happening. That is for sure. Um, just to what extent, like you said, is is the mystery. Um, could be at the very top. Could be you know you know both of the coordinators for all we know I, I do think it's a little bit alarming of just the Matthew Pallage kind of learning on the job and the fact that that's as much of a disconnect as it is that is concerning um and so you wonder how that's handled because like Aranda said like he can't be on the job working on the defense like he's the coordinator still yep um but he keeps a watchful eye you know the Grimes thing I do think Grimes is a really good coach I think Grimes is 
probably a future head coach somewhere. Um, and two years ago, um, I don't know how much he interviewed or had interest, but it would have been a, a nice time to, to go and jump in um, if that opportunity would have arisen. I still think that's out there for him. But I just think when your bread and butter is the wide zone, it's running the football, it's you know the tight ends. Like The tight end things worked out well with Drake Dabney, but the inability to run the football consistently – it just derails the whole operation. And so I just don't know how you can run that back. Like, I can see where you can say, like, Pallage is learning and Randall will be, or, you know, or whatever. But on the offensive side, it's like, are you going to guarantee a brand-new O-line that can block all year long? Are you going to guarantee running backs that fit the scheme rather than a Richard Reese just being there and a non-factor, mm-hmm. taking up a, a scholarship, even though he's a Big 12 nuke or whatever it was, freshman of the year the year before? Um, All-American, freshman All-American. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, on offense, that's not the biggest issue. The defense is probably the bigger issue, especially given you have a defensive-minded head coach. But I just just don't trust that you can make enough moves in the offseason to get this offense personnel-wise back to where it needs to be to be as effective as it was two years ago when Abram Smith was just running through folks behind a battering rim of an O-line. That takes time. That takes the right guys. And I just don't think you can but, do that in an offseason. But he, his first year came in, and they flipped to the wide zone, made Abram Smith a linebacker into a running back, but they had a lot of the pieces on the offensive line. Mateos, of course, a part of that too. There are thoughts about what's happened to the offensive line. It's going to be an interesting weekend. The game Saturday night, Craig is right. It, you, it would be hard if you say, we're going to stay status quo. You go status quo, you might not have single digits of, of, of renewals of season tickets. You cannot make the decision based on that. You have to make the decision if you're Mac Rhodes based on what's best for the football program, and that could be mass wholesale changes or that could be coordinators, as you mentioned, one or both and or position coaches on top of that. Yeah, and I just think, too, with the offense being the way that it is when it's working, it's fun to watch your team run over people and just run through them. And, like Sam Mays was talking about, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's nothing that they can do about it, and that was great during that Sugar Bowl run, but that was two years ago at this point, and uh, they have not come close to, to replicating that uh, since midway point of, of last year, if they even got close to it at that point, uh, but at least they were still winning games back then. So I just think if you're like, yeah, we're same offense as last year, People are just going to be, I mean, the eye rolls will be, you know, enormous. And, and to your point, probably not a whole lot of people uh, buying into to what they're going to be rolling back. So, yeah, how do you approach that if you do bring certain people back? How do you sell that? How do you go about fixing that? And it's across the board. It's not just offense or defense. I mean, it's the whole thing needs to, it needs to look over. So, yeah, some very big decisions upcoming and, uh, we'll know in short order uh, well, what those yeah. are going to be. We will do that, and we'll keep up with it. And, of course, what we do with Sikkim365.com in the premium section has a lot to do with that as well. Baylor is 3-8, and eight, most likely 3-9. and nine. They ended with four straight losses last year to Iowa State, Houston, Kansas State, TCU. Uh, oh, actually, I'm sorry. They uh, What was I thought? I that thought, was this year. Yeah, that was this year. I, I, I thought I had the schedule. They ended up, of course, last year at the end after wins in Lubbock and in Norman. And then all hell broke loose and everything fell apart. And, of course, the disastrous bowl game. They lost their last four to uh, Kansas State, TCU, Texas, all ranked teams, and then Air Force in what is a memory you'd like to forget even if you weren't playing in that game. But they're at the game in Fort Worth in the miserable conditions. Yeah, and so what is that? It's, uh, so You're that was the last four. Thir- 
three and uh, thirteen. Three and thirteen. So there's that alone. But then you take into account how many of those thirteen are like bad losses. The Kansas like, State. I mean, uh, Air Force. I, I mean, from the standpoint of either blowouts or just embarrassing losing to a team you feel like you shouldn't lose to. Um, yeah, just embarrassing losses, bad losses. Yeah, Air Force was an awful loss because Texas State, the of weather was yeah. you know awful. It was a bowl game at TCU Stadium. Right, Texas State. Like you start the season of, of all this off season of optimism and changes, and right out of the gates you lose at home convincingly to Texas State. Um, blown out by Texas. Blown out by K State. Texas blown out Tech. by Texas Tech. Iowa State. Blown out you. by Iowa State. Yep. I mean, blown out by K State. So it's blown like out by TCU. Yeah, yeah. So you're not even being competitive. Like so, what? So you're just going to tweak a coordinator no, and no, all that? No, 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 no. It's going to be. Yeah. There, there will be something. It's just a matter of how much. Right. There will be. There'll be shrapnel. Uh, using that term as far as coaching staff, but just how much it might be. You always wonder what would have happened had they held on to the lead against Utah. Would that have just been lipstick on a pig, or would that have given them something, although uh, Texas in a couple of weeks most likely would overwhelm them. Thank you, Garrett Ross. Appreciate Emery Winter, Levi Caraway, also Jack McKenzie. Craig, happy Thanksgiving. Everybody, enjoy what you have coming up this weekend. We'll be back on with our pregame show on Saturday at 4.30 right here uh, inside this big, beautiful studio. I want to give one more note. Ted Teague sent this to me, if you don't mind, Garrett. Black Friday sales event at Allen Samuels. Four brand-new 2023 Dodge Hornets, the newest addition to the Dodge family. $1,500 rebates, no payments for 90 days. 2023 Dodge Durango, $4,250 in rebates. Another $750 if you finance with Chrysler Capital. No payments for 90 days. And 10% below MSRP on the new 2023 All-Grand Cherokees, uh, the uh, Gladiators, except for the Gladiator Sport, which is 15% below MSRP. Deals are going on. Uh, 10% below MSRP, not on just the Ram 1500 Lone Stars, but also the heavy-duty trucks as well. 2500 3500s and 10% off MSRP, no payments for 90 days. We appreciate you. Enjoy Thanksgiving. A lot of things we'll know by the time we talk with you again on Saturday when it comes to the pregame show. We'll know who's going to be in the Big 12 championship game, or maybe not, because K-State could still be a part of that discussion on Saturday evening. Again, Garrett, thanks for your time. Coming up next, we're not done. Uh, this is the 5 o'clock hour, and Baylor women's basketball, no, Nikki Collin, join me one-on-one, and she's next, and then Paul's top five. One size fits all. That may be all right for an adjustable belt or cheap sunglasses. But when it comes to your financial needs, no one wants a one size fits all strategy. Cam Heathcott, your Edward Jones financial advisor, knows that his most important goals are yours. That's why we take the time to understand your needs, knowing you. That's how Edward Jones makes sense of investing. Cam Heathcott in Conroe at 936-756-7717. Edward Jones, member SIPC. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge checking and savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men... 
an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott and White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 5 o'clock hour is brought to you by Edward Jones and financial advisor Cam Heathcott. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Now here's David Smoke and Craig Smoke. Women's basketball coach Nikki Collin with me, David Smoke on 365 Sports. So how did your team, in your opinion, you beat Harvard Sunday, how did they handle the big win against Utah, and did they remain focused and locked in? You know, I, I think they did. I think it was it was going to be a tough game either way. I don't think people understand how good Harvard is. I think it was such a trap game for us, and it would have been that way regardless of win or losing to Utah. I think, you know, if our tails were between our legs after losing to Utah, um, it would have been an easy game to lose because of how, how tough Harvard is and how physical they play and their their five out style and system and along with Harmony Turner who can go get points um, you know or, or winning keeping them focused on okay we had a good game but that doesn't mean we're elite yet you know we have to prove that we're truly elite and so you know I think we had moments um, which you're going to have early in the season anyway regardless of whether you've played a top 10 team or not played a top 10 team so just trying to keep them focused on building blocks, getting better day in and day out. Okay, our ball screen coverage wasn't good enough. How do we improve that? Where, what areas, um, you know, do we need to shore up? And so, you know, I, I certainly don't think we were overconfident. Um, I think we made them feel like Harvard was a really good team because we, we truly believed as a staff that they were. What do you enjoy the most or what are you better at? And it don't have to rank them in order, but game planning, Coaching, practice on the floor, uh, fundamentals, et cetera, that type of part. 
X's and O's for a game or during a game or recruiting? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, this is a yeah, good question. I mean, I think I thrive um, in in-game X's and O's, um, planning. How do we beat a team? You know, how do we maximize our strength? Um, you know, what's going to work in this game? Um, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty good at reading adjustments in-game. Um, but I, but I enjoy the teaching. I enjoy being on the court. I enjoy, um, having players, you know, kind of grow and develop and, and figure it out. Um, and you know, recruiting, I like people. I mean, it doesn't mean I love to recruit all the time. Um, you know, but I, but I certainly understand that it's the lifeblood of a program and I'm only as good as the players I recruit. And so, you know, it has to be a primary focus and, um, you know, I, I, I do enjoy meeting people and, you know, but, but if I had to say, like, what do I love the most? It's, it's probably the chess match, the in-game chess match. Like, what are they doing? How do we counteract that? What are they doing with our ball screens? Um, you know, what can we tweak um, to, to be good? I, I have this question. So in a football game, a guy, let's say it's third and seven. They know if they get the first down, it's first down. They got the play call, all that sheet. In basketball, can you think a play ahead, or do you have to be in the moment? It's a little of both. You know, we certainly go in. Um, to me, I'm going to go in with, even if um, our playbook is, let's just say, 30 plays, you know, I'm going to say, okay, these are the eight that I feel like are really going to be effective tonight. And maybe it's keeping the ball in the middle third of the floor. Maybe it's, um, you know, they're not as good in two-man action or they're they're not as good in three-man action. And so um, I, I think you have to um, have a plan going in. You know, we may strip the first two or three plays, um, but then we have to see, okay, what are they doing differently maybe against us that they didn't do? Harvard had pressed a ton leading up to our game. They didn't press one possession. Um, and so, you know, you, you have that where as the game's going along, you have to figure out what's working, who, who needs the ball, where do they need the ball, what are the matchups. Like we're in a unique situation this year with kind of having these hybrid players um, that we're not always sure how the opponents are going to match up, you know. And so there are times when, you know, our mismatch will be with Asia, our mismatch will be with Bella, our mismatch will be with Dre. And it's about recognizing where those are at and how we can kind of move um, them around to get them in the best position to be successful. You know, you, you mentioned the hybrids, and you have at least a knock on wood. You, you, it's a game that can have attrition, but you have so much depth, so many parts. Is it almost like you have been hamstrung at times, not with that the first couple of years? Is it like sometimes you're like, wow, we've got a lot of different weapons in different ways? Absolutely. I feel that way. I, you know, it's, it's, you know, you look at the end of the game or even watching the Utah game back and, you know, Danae only played six minutes, but they were really, really good minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, I need to get her more minutes um, because her, her toughness showed. Um, I thought she, if we're going to switch screens, she, she did such a good job of switching screens and, but the, the reasons we brought her here, I just, they, they really came out, you know, when you saw her, compete at that level you know Yaya was in foul trouble against Harvard so only had eight minutes you can see how electric she can be in short bursts and so 
you know, it's, it's kind of the, the pieces moving around and, and keeping the players, um, you know, you, you look at a lot of box scores and most teams play seven, maybe eight players, you know, and, and so when you're, when you're trying to play eight, nine, ten, um, you know, it's, it's utilizing them the right way. Um, the good part is it, it helps keep them accountable. You know, you're going to show up and you're going to compete every day because if you don't, there's somebody that's, that's ready to take those minutes. Um, which is a good problem as a coach, but at times, you know, you, you do want to give um, people minutes and, but you're, you're careful not to keep, you know, the Sarah Andrews from getting into a flow. Talking to Nikki Collin, Baylor women's basketball coach with us on 365 sports with you now having your, I mentioned this last time we spoke, your daughter and, and your son now here with you. Has that allowed you to have in-person sounding board just someone else to talk to more often i know you had communication your family on the road your husband etc but is it different having them in person to lean on a little bit more you know the the best thing about having them around is just seeing them you know being able i know like you know it it was pretty magical for that reese cheered um the utah game and you know she was she was cheering up after the game you Mm -hmm. know it's fun when your kids can articulate how proud they are of you, you know, because as parents, we constantly take so much pride in, in our kids and, and who they are and what they do and their successes. And um, so I think it's, it's just been great for me to have the, the in-person support, um, to be able to put my arms around them, um, to see them, to, to smile, to laugh. My daughter and I are doing a puzzle uh, tonight. It's just something the family does when we get together for the holidays. We're always playing games and doing puzzles. And, um, you know, but I'm still, you know, most nights they're college students. They're doing their thing. And so I still come home and and kind of do the work that I that I've always done. But, you know, I get to I get to touch him about five days a week. My son's super invested, comes to practice, does his Mm -hmm. homework, you know, and, and may come to practice for an hour. Uh, but this is around a lot, and and so they're they're just having a good time being around the program right now. Did the Utah win validate what you're doing? I'm not sure I understand. Uh, I, you know, I hope so. You know, we're, I've always believed that I know what I'm doing as a basketball coach. You know, and and I think, um, you know, we have good players. You know, and our staff has done a good job. Um, recruiting really good players and and I think these are the type of games that truly I've said it before but that I came to play in that I came to play for and so you know you you just enjoy if you're a competitor you enjoy those moments Mm -hmm. um, because it's an opportunity um, for your players to showcase you know what they're capable of and at the same time you know when there's when there's all this hype surrounding certain teams you know you you want to prove that that you that you count you know, and that you can be in those conversations, um, you know. So, I, I mean, look, I just – I don't ever expect not to be the best. It's just I was born with those expectations. And so, you know, we, we want to prove that that's who we are and who we can be, you know. And, and everybody's going to skin a cat differently. How Iowa plays is different than how Virginia Tech plays, which is how it's different from how Stanford plays. Um, but I think there's a lot of ways to successfully – um, you know, play basketball. And so I think we're just kind of showing our brand that, you know, I, I think we're just tapping the surface. I'm, I'm frustrated with our offense and we're shooting around 50% in, 
and scoring in the mid eighties every game, you know, and I'm thinking like, man, we made these 15 mistakes, you know, we're, we're going to start scoring a hundred points and we're not, you know, we're doing, we're scoring 80 points against good teams. So I think we have a lot of room to grow still and get better. And I, I think on the defensive side, you know, we have a ton of room to grow. Um, so I, I think this team still has a long ways to go. Um, but I think the Utah game was hopefully a, a big building block for our fans, for hopefully our student crowd, for people yep. to, to see that what our brand of basketball can really be fun to watch. Because I do think how, how we play is fun to watch. You have this stretch now with McNeese, Alcorn State, SMU, without getting too far ahead, then Oregon around the corner in early December. Do you use non-conference games, or is it the does it depend on the opponent to kind of play or tweak a little bit towards what you're going to need to do either against another quality non-conference opponent or when the Big 12 battering ramp begins? Uh, is that something that kind of just comes naturally? And do you have so many players that getting a rotation or cutting it to a certain number will be difficult? I think the rotation is going to potentially depend on the opponent, the style. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, when teams have a traditional big, it allows us to play, um, you know, Letty and Kyla really effectively at the five. Um, I think it's tough uh, when a Harvard plays five out and everything they do is, is screening and we're switching and, you know, they would have been caught in mismatches all night. Um, I, I, I prefer to give, put players in position to be successful. Um, and so I think these games are, are about, you know, continuing to grow in terms, like, how are we going to get better day to day? There's a lot of areas that no matter who we play, we have to get better. And at the same time, you know, we, we face, um, you know, a hard hedging ball screen defense against Harvard. Um, we faced an ice ball screen man-to-man team. You know, in Utah, we're about to face a tandem 2-3 team that's probably going to play 2-3 zone for the whole game. So you, you know, really are like, okay, this is when you want to execute and prove that you're going to be really good against zone and you're not going to just rely on swinging around the perimeter and making threes, um, but playing inside out, working it into the high post, using your short corners, you know, and and really developing um, your zone attack because we will face teams that are going to play zone. Kansas State plays some zone in our league. And so... Uh, Iowa State always plays some zone. So when you when you look at your non-conference opponents, you know, they're going to present something different every night. Um, you know, watching McNeese right now, they may not be an offensive juggernaut, but they play four out, one in, they throw it into the post, and they run splits where they're going to screen guard to guard on the perimeter and make reads. Well, we haven't faced that, but Texas Tech does that. Um, so it's good for us to start to prepare for, okay, defending splits on the perimeter when the ball goes into the post. Um, and really being good in our communication and talking and not getting blindsided by screens. Um, and, and so I do think the non-conference, it's like you, you see a little bit of everything. And you obviously see different levels of talent, different size, and expectations in games are different, how deep you can go. Um, but I do think we've got to figure that core group out that can, that can shift depending on opponent. You know, if, if we need a lineup that can really shoot it, um, because they're they're really congesting the paint, then then we've got to play a lineup that that can shoot the ball from the perimeter. Um, because I don't think you can dare us to shoot if that's how you want to play. You have uh, in a conference with Oklahoma, 
Kansas State, which they had the great win recently against Iowa, Texas unbeaten, and, of course, you beat number four, Utah. And that doesn't mean others aren't. There's a lot of teams unbeaten. A lot of times in non-conference they are. But the Big 12's had some pretty salty non-conference wins. You pay, you, you, how much have you paid attention to that? I watch basketball every night. I'm a nerd. So I, I watch the, you know, I watch the Kansas State game. Not shocked. You know, they beat Iowa a year ago without Ioka. Mm-hmm. And now they know, like, Kansas State knows who they are. You know, and I think some teams this time of year are, are developing identity. Kansas State knows we're, we're going to play four rounds. Lee and we're going to throw it into her and you're going to have to decide whether you're going to single her up or double and then she's going to read kick out and I'm going to throw one more and you know and so they they're really good at what they do and they slowed the pace they kept length on Caitlin Clark and so um, huge win for them not surprised by it I think everyone knew they had a chance to be really really good um, if Lee got back and was was healthy I think TCU um, while you know their schedule hasn't been as tough I think what they're getting out of Sedona Prince um, is really impressive. And Madison Connor, two transfers from the pack, um, has been good. You know, Texas probably hasn't been tested yet. Um, but they'll get UConn sooner than later and, and have a chance to evaluate, like, where they're at. Um, and certainly their, their style, they, they have everyone returning. So I, I think our league is really, really good. I think people are surprised at OU. Um, is good, but I just think they're they're very system driven, and they're going to recruit players that that can shoot it and are going to be aggressive and run up and down the court. And so if they make enough shots, um, I think they can beat anybody on any given night, which they proved against Old Miss. And so, you know, I I think it's a a league that has a lot of different styles, but a lot of different a lot of talented coaches, a lot of talented players, and you know, people aren't talking about the Big Twelve um, as much as they're talking about the Pac-12 because of how many teams they've got in the top five and top ten. Um, but I think we have a, a lot of really, really good teams in this league. I got one final question. And, f- by the way, happy Thanksgiving. That uh, Enjoy the holidays with the family. When you are on a timeout and you have that board with your a Sharpie or whatever it is, right, a racer board, do you have pretty handwriting during that time? Is it chicken scratch or does it look like a doctor's prescription? Oh, very, very pretty. Um, yeah, no, I, those are, you know, it's, it's funny. I had when, when Chloe worked for me last year, she said I was the first coach you ever worked for whose hand didn't shake at all. (laughs) Wow. Um, in those, in those moments, it's like that. I always feel like that's like my sandbox when I just get to play. Um, and, and it's so often an opportunity to like take, Something like I, I, I write a lot of stuff leading up to games, actions, you know, even before the Utah game, I, I spent the last hour before I came out just really, really dialed into this could be a really close game. Like, what do I want to run if we're down three and there's eight seconds to go? Like, what are we going to run if we're down three and there's two seconds to go? Um, you know, and so, so much of that is not just like, hey, I'm, I'm pulling it out of thin air. Um, but it's, it's almost like the one of the things I've been really lucky with and considered blessed with is I have a fairly photographic memory. Okay. And so when, I, when I've drawn something up before, when I've seen it before, if I see it, um, a great play on a Twitter feed um, that, that they're posting with Jokic and, you know, an NBA play, whatever, it's, it's still like I can pull that pretty much instantly and say, okay, this would work in this situation. Um, 
And so to me, my biggest issue sometimes on the board is making sure I know which five are in the game, especially if it's a 30-second timeout and everyone's standing as opposed to sitting in front of me and making sure I get initials right, you know. And, and at this level, you got to make sure the board is turned in the correct direction because if you don't turn the board so that it looks exactly like the court directly in front of the, the team, they'll get turned around, <laughs> you know. And so it's little things like that with, that you didn't have to worry about in the pros that you got to make sure – um, you know, that, that that's a JW for Jada Walker. And it's, a, right. you know, so I, I use initials for everything. I don't know how anyone uses those magnet boards and, and puts one, two, three, four, and five and moves them around because um, we really don't have three, fours, and fives in a, in a lot of settings, you know, so it's, everything is very initial driven. So that's about sometimes I'll get Sarah Andrews and she'll be at the point, and then she'll be over on the wing as well. Nikki Collin, Baylor women's basketball coach on 365 Sports. It's time for Paul Catalina's Top 5, brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Top five best rivalry weekend matchups. And look, if you didn't have a name, if your rivalry doesn't have a name, I'm not, I didn't include it. So I'm sorry to North Carolina, North Carolina State. Two eight and three teams, very evenly matched. Uh, But, you know, I'm trying to keep this fun here, Jack. So, yeah, I I mean, we we can try and dub it the Dogwood Derby, but. Yeah, I don't know. We'll, We'll try. I mean, there's. You know, yeah, I like, you know, the UNC and Duke is tobacco road, right? So like they have that UNC and NC state, they just call it Carolina state game, which is fine. That's them. That's for their fans. I just, for the purposes of this, you know, I needed, I needed some, I needed some joie de vivre. No, I get you. I get you. Yeah. And by the way, we are, in case you haven't figured this out, I haven't been on the show until right now. So this is segment is pre-recorded. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah there you go. See, there's Jack. <laughs> He's also not here today. Hopefully. <laughs> but uh, number five, the Apple Cup. Look, I know that Wazoo has fallen on hard times lately, but this one will be a little bit personal. And the, the, I like rivalry week games that get kind of exciting and interesting are ones where one team has uh, nothing to lose at all and potentially a bowl game to game. There's two games on this list exactly like that and can ruin the rivals whole season. Well, that's what Wazoo could do if they beat Washington this week. I don't think that's going to happen, but it is in Pullman. And so it could get interesting because it will be lit up. And I also put this on the list, even though it's an 11 0 team versus a five and six team, because they had the dead gone decency to put their petty differences behind them. And for the sake of their fans, keep it going. Yeah. That beautiful. Yes. That to me, credit to both these universities for figuring it out it, and doing the right thing. It's definitely the right thing. And I'm very happy about that. I do wonder if this year, because it doesn't strike me as a very ugly or mean rivalry. Like, a, yeah, we want to beat y'all bad, but not like a, a hate-filled rivalry. Oh, it's not like the Holy War. But this might be the most hate-filled version of it. Yeah. S- like, since a while and for a while. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I do. Like, I know you announced it this week, but for Washington's sake, like for Wazoo's sake, you maybe like your fans to think that this could be the last time. So they're really like, you know, knives out. But eh, they're still going to be they're still going to be really lit up for this. Number four, this one doesn't have a rivalry name. I'm just calling it the last ride. Uh, I named it the last ride. It's a one off because, look, this is the last time. I know that Tech probably has a better shot at getting Texas on the schedule than TCU or Baylor or Houston would. Like, that. that's very true. But um, I, this is not going to happen for a long time. Because, look, Texas – to their credit, schedules at a conference really well. And even though they're going to the SEC and a lot of the teams they would schedule at a conference now become not that, Tech is, they're going to avoid that for a little while. They're just going to. So this one could be very interesting. I don't think that Tech is winning on the road in Austin. That is not a thing that I think that they can do. But again, this has got the your mark sauce on it. Texas has played kind of fast and loose the last couple weeks. Your mark sauce sounds like it should be a good sauce. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it has got your mark sauce is full of energy. <laughs> is it ideas. the first ever caffeinated sauce? <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Absolutely. Do you like barbecue sauce but always feel tired after you eat it? Well, no longer. You've got your mark sauce. You'll have energy. Created in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> energy. Ideas. <laughs> anyway yeah should be a fun one comes with a free assistant <laughs> to write things down <laughs> hey got this what if we play games eastern europe boom write it down don't know if it's gonna happen but let's flesh that out that's what he'd do uh number three the sunshine showdown i particularly am not crazy about this rivalry name i'm crazy about this game it means a tremendous amount to me and it has the same kind of weight on it that washington and wazoo does in that it's an 11-0 team playing a 5-6 and team at their place and florida like florida would make a bowl game if they won but that's like they're not going to care about that they're going to care that they ruined fsu season that's what they're going to care about. Now, FSU could lose to Florida and beat Louisville and win the ACC and still they might lose both those games and still wind up in a New Year's Six Bowl because you got to you know pick teams for that. But if they're not in the playoff because of this game, then that's all Florida needs. They don't need look. They don't need a big gigantic Thanksgiving dinner that would be like it used to be where this game affected the national title picture for both sides for the winner completely. This is going to just be a nice meatball sub where it's like, this is delicious and I'm glad it happened. And I'm happy that the people in Tallahassee are sad. And it's because of us now Florida is also playing with their backup quarterback. So that's probably going to be a little harder than it would if Graham Mertz. And I can't believe I'm saying this was in the game, but he's out. He shattered his collarbone the other night. It was a really, I mean, he got lit up and he was playing really well against Mizzou when he did. Uh, But he's out. Max Brown is in. So instead of Jordan Travis versus Graham Mertz, you get Tate Rodemaker versus Max Brown. 
the matchup Yay. you didn't know you always wanted. So, um, but, <laughs> yeah. And you can, for the people that don't follow either team, I can fill up a whole one sheet of paper on what I know about both these guys. Yeah. From so. a neutral's perspective, I mean, sitting here knowing what is on the line for Florida State and how much Florida would love to take all of that from them, I think you could tune in and easily unless Florida State is blow, finding a way to blow them out I think you can easily get interested in that game yeah I think you could number two the Civil War Oregon and Oregon State um, Oregon State will make this very interesting they're a really tough team but I think the, this might be Oregon's toughest game of the year honestly it might be Oregon State just lost and they're 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 out of the playoff picture officially uh, right now so they uh you know, the, I guess they were a couple weeks ago, but like even still, like that's kind of over for them. They're out of the, the conference title picture. So now it's just go get that dub. And this one, we don't know if it's, they're going to play it again. We don't know if Oregon has the same sort of benevolence towards their in-state rival that Washington does. So this one, as far as the fans know, this is the last civil war they're going to see for a little bit. You know, so that one, that could make it interesting there. I still think Oregon... Oregon to me is the team like no matter which team you are that could wind up in the playoffs. If you told me like which team would be on their list of we definitely don't want to see this team. Oregon to me is on everyone's list. Mm -hmm. Whereas like Florida State might be on some teams list, but not on others. Texas, whatever. Oregon is on every team's list. All the teams, the nine teams that are still qualified for it. Oregon to be the one to me that would be top to bottom all nine. And, And I guess Georgia, but like, you know. But other than that, like Oregon and Georgia to me would be across the board. Cause I think some teams are like, yeah, I think we can get Ohio state and Michigan. I think we can get Washington, but I think all of them be like, oh, I don't want to play Dan Lanning. <laughs> guy's, yeah. a, guy's kind of a they're psycho. Not, they're not the buzzsaw, but they're the hot team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like that's the other thing is probably it's just like that guy's kind of a psycho. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't want to pee. I don't want to be in the alley with him going like, all right, make a move. Like, I, I think I can beat him. I think I can. <laughs> yeah. There's there's someone out there who I know I can't beat, but I don't want to I don't want to play the guy where I'm like I think I can I want to play the guy where I'm like yeah. Here's yeah, what's interesting beat. to me about about Dan Lanning is that the way he coaches with such I don't want to say reckless abandon, but that he is confident in the decisions he makes and he takes big risks that would make a lot of coaches go, oh do I have to like match that energy? And if it's not your style, then it then it comes across like, oh, well, you can't, you know, that that's something that I think he, he can do really well and he will do for years. And number one, how can it be anything else? This is the only game that will for sure affect the playoff for sure, because all the other teams like and playoff teams are mentioned in every single one of these games. But if it goes chalk in those other four games, then nothing changes from this week to next week. But in this one, for sure, it'll happen. I'm picking Michigan. Wouldn't surprise me to see Ohio State, you know, sneak up and surprise them. How much emotional baggage can Michigan carry? I don't know. But this one is the one, no doubt about it. Michigan and Ohio State will affect the playoff, and it will have a ridiculous TV number because we're all going to be watching it. Yep. Totally agree. Yeah. It's going to be wild. So that is the top five. Uh, I hope you all have a happy, wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy it. Spend time with your families or walk around the Gaylord Texan like I'm going to do. And I might ride the ice slide this year, Jack. Do you think I should wait in line and do that? No. No? I think the line's just going to annoy you more than anything. <laughs> I'm not bad with lines. 
If there's something that's fun on the other end of the line. Yeah, but I see this as like there's a lot of children in line to get into a parade or something, and that just I know you hate that. That, That's like look if there's something fun at the end of a line, I'll like theme parks. All there for it. If you think it's going to be fun. Barbecue. I've waited in line for barbecue all across this country. So if there's something fun, I'll do it. All right. That's going to do it for us, or at least do it for me here on this episode of 365 Sports. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody.